Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number. Won't cost you to make a call. Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show, a shooting and a football match in Tipperary. The debate on whether restaurants should serve smaller portions. A financial advice for 2024. We'll speak about global politics with uh, Thomas Conway. The importance of men being open about depression. The Irish success at the Golden Globes caused to scrap the NCT and tips on decluttering for the brand New Year. So all of that and much, much more on the way. But a very, very happy New Year to you indeed. And it's good to be back. And thanks to Ali for looking after you so well uh, last week. Let's have a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. Uh, the Irish Daily Mail, and they're leading with the story that the alleged ringleader of physical and sexual abuse at Terranure College will not face criminal damage, uh, criminal prosecution, indeed, for the offences, according to the Daily Mail. And that's because the uh, statute of limitations has passed. I'm sure that will anger an awful lot of people. Uh, the Irish Examiner and their main story, RTE Cork, is to begin looking for a new location in the city this month with its father Matthew Key premises to be sold for around two million. Also on the Examiner, the Office of the Attorney General has begun assessing a request for new inquests into the deaths of all 50 victims of the Whitty Island uh, disaster in County Cork, which occurred 45 years ago today, can you believe? Um, and let's have a look at the Irish Independent. And it's dominated by an incredible photograph in a deed because uh, questions have been raised about the decision to play the AIB All-Ireland Senior Club Football Championship semi-final in such poor visibility in Newry. And uh, the photograph captures the uh, the incredible situation there with uh, fog, but it is a, um, a wonderful photograph in its own way, though. The Irish Indo as well telling us that uh, a surge in the number of high earners has led to a recovery in the property market and prices rose in the second half of last year after interest rate uh, hikes put a dampener on price growth in the first half of the year according to the latest quarterly uh, house price report from myhome.ie in association with the Bank of Ireland that there's been a 50% rise in the number of people earning more than 100,000 according to revenue figures. There you go now. And the Irish Times and their main story uh, that another spring cost of living package has been ruled out by the Minister for Finance, uh, Michael McGrath, who warned that other financial once-off measures must be uh, tapered off as the government plans to return to smaller-sized budgets. And also, I mean, if you think the nonsense around the children's hospital uh, was bad, what about this? The staff at the National Maternity Hospital, they're commuting to work for up to two and a half hours a day because they cannot afford to live in Dublin. And that's according to the master of the hospital there. And finally, on the Irish Times today, child maintenance payments could be collected by revenue or deducted at source by on post as part of a shake-up of supports to children of separated parents. So that's a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. If you want to make comment on any of that, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can text and WhatsApp 083 
1833 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, a football player was shot and injured during a match at a sports venue in Rear Cross on Saturday night. The incident happened shortly after 9pm uh, during the second half of a match between Ballymackie uh, Football Club and Rear Cross Football Club. Michael Collins is children's officer for Ballymackie and he joins me now. Michael, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Very shocking incident indeed for, for everybody involved, I would imagine, there on, on the night. Can you tell us about it, Michael? Indeed. Um, yes, yeah, so we were about 10 minutes into the second half and there was a, a popping sound. It wasn't necessarily sound like a gunshot, but there was a popping sound. My initial reaction was, or thoughts was, that the, a player had um, broken a bone or popped a muscle or something like that, but uh, it quickly became apparent that... Um, the rare cross player was on his knees holding his arm and um, it quickly became apparent that he had uh, received a gunshot wound to the to the arm. So quite shocking, not something you expect to, to witness as a junior soccer match in Tipperary, for sure. I can well imagine, indeed. And what happened then at that point? I presume the, the pitch was cleared, Michael. Indeed, yes. Um, our, once we realised what, what had occurred, we ensured that we'd gotten all our players um supporters and officials off the pitch as quickly as possible and to a safe area in the Aircross Clubhouse. Yes, and was there a big turnout at the game? Uh, between players and supporters and so forth, there's probably 70 or so, 60 or 70 at the game in total. So a nice crisp evening and there was a good atmosphere at the ground. So we were looking forward. It was a, a good game, good competitive game up to that point. When it emerged that it was gunshot, Michael, I mean, was there any sense of panic, for example? Uh, I think, look, I suppose, look, once we realised what happened, there, there, there wasn't necessarily panic, but uh, there was obviously obvious concern. And look, our main, our main goal at that point was to ensure that everybody was safe and off the pitch and out of the, out of the lights and uh, to a safe area as quickly as possible. Uh, not necessarily panic, friend, though, to be honest. But, yes. You know, it was concern more for the player and, and in case it could, potentially happen again but I think people realise pretty quickly that as speculated it, it possibly was a, a hunting somebody hunting in the in the area so it's a, it's a, my understanding Michael is that it's a wooded area anyway and people would would be hunting in that area is that fair yeah. to say indeed yeah look I, I'm sure people are familiar with the area and across the lovely scenic area indeed. mountainous area and yeah. um, quite a lot of forestry up there and so I suppose hunting is quite prevalent in the in the area so I guess, look, you know, people in the know, they were at the game at the time, speculated that it potentially was that. So, you know, yeah. And how was the player attended to then? I mean, was there first aid available at the There game? was first aid available immediately. And look, once and the emergency services were called uh, as quickly as possible. So look, he was taken well taken care of. And from what I gather, he's making a good recovery. So delighted to hear. Yes, I believe so. He's named in the newspapers today as Donica. Oh, O'Brien, oh, and he is making a good recovery by all accounts, which is, which is is very good news. I'm sure Indeed. you'll agree. Is it the most unusual thing you've ever come across? Absolutely, day? absolutely, friend. It's as I said, something the least, the last thing you expect to witness at a, a junior soccer match in, in Tipperary. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, it's something you, you don't see any day, not a, not a mind every day. So you know, we and, were all quite shocked. And the emergency services then, I presume the Gardaí were called as well, were they? Indeed, yes. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. were they long making their way to to no, Rare Cross? They were. They were. You no, know, the the guards were on scene pretty quickly, and the emergency services were there shortly afterwards. So, yeah. 
All right, okay. And what about the the game itself? I know that's in the scheme of things, I suppose. <laughs> I, but I, I presume there will yeah. be a replay of, of some kind. I would right? imagine so. Well, yes. obviously we're waiting on the, the, the league to make a decision on that, but I would imagine there would be a replay in the, in the near future. All right. Okay, well, we appreciate your time this morning, Michael, and thanks very much indeed for coming on with us. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. That's Michael Collins there, who's Children's Officer for Bally Mackey there. And uh, I'm delighted to be joined now by an old friend of mine, sports broadcaster, uh, Stephen Gleeson. Stephen, good morning to you. Morning, friend. And, uh, you know, I put it to Michael there. Is this one of the most unusual incidents you've ever come across, Stephen? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to go up to Rear Cross on a Saturday evening, you know, cold evening but a nice feel about it uh, to go play football in a beautiful venue in the heart of the village up there and you know it's a very scenic pitch it's very picturesque a lot of players across North Tipperary love playing up in Rear Cross because of the fine setting up there and you know the pitch is just on your left as you're driving from Limerick towards Tipperary so it's just up a little bit on the height on the left and then further on there's another hill just at the back of it as well but there's a lot of houses around the pitch there as well and there's really good facilities they have an astroturf and really good dressing rooms and everything so I suppose you know it must be terrifying just to be in that situation all of a sudden where there's a sound and all of a sudden a player is injured like that on the field of play and uh, it's it's traumatic for them all Yeah, Donald is quoted in uh, the mail today as saying when you take a shot from the halfway line but instead you get shot on the halfway line. I mean, it it, it really is a, an incredible uh, incident, isn't it? It's one of those things that is just so bizarre and just so out of the blue, I suppose, that uh, maybe shock sets in to some degree. And uh, mm. I know a lot of the people there, you know, will be, will need time to just come to terms with it and just uh, to to make peace with it because uh, of the, you know, the suddenness of the event, I suppose. I mean, it is, you know, terrifying to go out in that frame of mind to play a game of football and then something like that happens, you know. So thankfully the player is okay and, you know, that's the main thing. He was released uh, early in the morning from hospital on Sunday and, uh, look, the important thing, I suppose, now is that he recovers well and that everyone there is left with no after effects from such a traumatic event like that. Of course, and yeah. of course that the, the Gardaí discover what happened here, you know, and who was walking around at that hour of the night in the dark, you know, firing a shot towards a lit up area where there is houses, where there is a soccer field, um, you know, do they have a license? You know, what were they shooting? Mm. You know, is there any vigilance of that going forward? So, and it appears to be, you know, common enough practice across rural Ireland that you would hear, you know, bullets ringing out at night like that. So I think mm. all that really has to be looked into a bit more, like, because if you have incidents like this starting to happen, it, you know, it is it is terrifying for everybody involved that was at the game on Saturday night and everyone involved, you know, within sport and across Ireland, I think it'll just send shockwaves through the sporting community that this could happen. For certain, I know North Tipperary District League, Stephen, that they've offered players and club officials, indeed, counselling uh, because of what happened. As you say, the, the shock is probably only setting in at this point. You, you, you know the family involved. What are you hearing from them, Stephen? Well, I uh, would be just in the broader area and would play with the neighbouring uh, club there, the Rangers and we were playing on Sunday and uh, you know like everyone's thoughts were with uh, the 
team in Rare Cross, the player, the family of the player, everyone involved, because it is such a you know a stressful event and such a traumatic thing. So it's just about you know finding peace, I suppose, at this point for them and just coming to terms with what happened. And that's it, I suppose, was a, a sense of shock in the Rare Cross community following that incident. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, hopefully. This will be all resolved in due course, and uh, and that the investigation will discover what happened as well. Like that's a, an important part of it, I think, as well. Mm. That uh, they find out exactly what happened. I couldn't help but think that if there was a big crowd at a game where something like this happened, there would be panic, Stephen. I mean, that would be fair to say, wouldn't there? And I mean, that in itself could lead to all sorts of uh, dangers. Yeah, yeah, I suppose it could, but uh, I think basically in that instance, people would just head calmly for the dressing room and like it's kind of that element of shock maybe where it just before that sets in that people wouldn't be uh, running in panic as you put it that people would be just calmly heading for the dressing room and mm. you know assess the situation then and uh, you know thankfully you know there was a lot of cool heads there um, and they really helped to just diffuse the situation to some degree which uh, you know it's important for everybody there too. Well, that's for sure. Stephen, thanks for your time this morning and Happy New Year to you and your family. Great to great to talk to you, Stephen. Thank you. Thanks, Fran. You Thank too. You. Happy Thank New Year. Bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Stephen Gleeson there speaking to us. Now, the Association of Hunt Saboteurs is renewing its call for ban and shooting at uh, night. And uh, the group say that shooting at night is dangerous and reckless and should be banned. And uh, that's in response to what happened in uh, Rear Cross. And John Tierney is campaigns director with the group and he joins me now. John, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. Good morning to you. And good, to, good to talk to you. Now, this is the incident on Saturday night is still under investigation, so we're not entirely sure as to what happened. But just to talk in general about the danger of indiscriminate sort of uh, hunting and shooting like this, uh, you have concerns about that, obviously, John. That's right, Fran. And the situation is that at the moment, um, it is legal to hunt at night with a lamp if you're not hunting an animal that's not protected under the Wildlife Act. And that traditionally was fox and rabbit. And also that you have permission of the landowner to be there. So that's kind of the legal background to it. Mm. So if somebody was, just a hypothetical then for me, John, if somebody was hunting deer, for example, in the rear cross area on Saturday night, were they legally sound to do that? No, you're not legally uh, allowed to hunt deer at night with a lamp. Now, of course, being Ireland, there is exemptions. If you were hunting deer out of season and you had a special 42 licence, you would be permitted to use a lamp. But during the defined hunting season, which basically ends at the end of February, you cannot use a lamp. Now, my, I suspect what happened, and this is purely speculation, is that somebody was out shooting foxes and he took aim and he just it just went across the field and hit the player. And this is a very serious incident. Now, again, just just from my point of view, I must add, this is still under investigation, so we don't know that for sure, but that's your speculation, John. Yeah, speculation. Yeah. A, couple, a couple of months ago, people might have forgotten um, a similar situation happened up in Dublin. And I, now I could recall this, but I think somebody was also seriously injured on a golf course by somebody out mm. hunting at night. Now, but this situation of hunting at night with firearms, this has been going on for years where incidents have taken place, where shots have been fired in people's houses, farm animals have been shot. Because, like, the legal situation is nice and handy that you only can shoot uh, rabbit and fox and you have permission of the landowner. But but the reality on the ground is that at night, out in the countryside, it's a free-for-all. 
people are hunting deer at night illegally with lamps. There's lurching going on where they're using dogs to hunt animals. And any animal that comes up in the light is hunted. It doesn't matter if it's a protected animal like a badger, a deer, mm. a hare. It's a free-for-all. And, and I, I know nothing at all about, about firearms or about hunting, to be honest with you, but are we talking about rifles here? Is that is that what we're talking about? In, in the main, the rifle is the nighttime uh, use for foxes because rifle is a single bullet. And um, the gun people have said that they're experts and they're trained, but the reality on the ground is anybody within reason can get a firearm and it's relatively easy to get a rifle or a shotgun. And uh, ah, it's, not, it's not all that easy to get a license, though, John, is it? I mean, you, you... Uh, relatively. Once you once you fill in the relevant paperwork and you've got uh, permission to be hunting, yes. it, it, but it's, don't you it's need okay. farmers to to well, um, to agree to that and to sign up that you're okay? Well, well that's all the that's kind of all the legal paperwork that you must have permission because it, permission is the number one key here. If you don't have permission, you're not allowed to hunt in Ireland. Regardless, even if you have a license, you need permission from the landowner. Right. And we we simply don't know at night what's happening out there mm-hmm. because the Gardaí have effectively given up on trying to control this problem because it's quite dangerous. You're confronting people late at night with firearms down country roads. And, and we've always maintained mm-hmm. that if you're into killing animals, you're not a very nice person to deal with. And that's my experience as well. Oh, so what we, you know, I have to we, say, now I know some hunters and they're decent, they're decent people, John, you know? Like, well, you know... It's a bit we of a generalisation to say that, is it? Not really, no, because we have a very small minority of people in Ireland who enjoy putting cartridges into wildlife. And it's a very small minority. And these people enjoy this. Mm. They enjoy blasting animals to pieces. And there is another speculation, and I, I think this is something that kind of could be a debating point, could have somebody decided to maybe go beyond an animal and try to shoot a human target last weekend? You know, that, that's I mean, a scary that, no, thought. That, that, is, that is very, very out there in terms of speculation, isn't it? But, but yeah. it is a debating point. Hmm. You know, that, that uh, we have always contained that somebody who enjoys putting cartridges into animals is a danger to society. And you see what's happening in America without, without a controlled gun violence. Hmm. And, 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 and do you always, think that we need more controls here? Well, what we our bottom line is that we want all forms of live shooting abolished and banned. All forms. Mm. We don't need hunting in Ireland whatsoever. And mm. the alternative to people who enjoy shooting, we've got the clay pigeon shooting, we've got the skeet shooting. Mm. So there is a humane alternative. If you enjoy putting cartridges into animals, mm. you can direct that into uh, non-humane targets like clay, mm. clay pigeons. Okay. And, and I think and, that's the, the way and, and what about I mean, what about some of the gun clubs who would be highly respected in terms of how they're run and how they're organised and uh, all of that? Um, you know, I mean, these these are largely decent people, are they not, John? You know, and um, well, not if you investigate them a lot more. If you if you kind of like, there is a kind of a public perception that these are lads on the Sunday to go out with the shotgun and they shoot a few in the air and everybody's nice and happy. It's a kind of nice countryside scene. But when you look underneath the blanket, you know, blood sports in general are vicious. There's no two ways about it. This is, they're in the business of killing animals. Mm. And that's what it's all about. And like over the years, we have members of gun clubs who have been convicted of badger baiting. We have gun club members convicted of assault using rifles mm. in the non-hunting field. So like there is an image out there that blood sports people 
are nice and calm and everything is nice. But when you actually lift the blanket, mm. you're dealing with vicious people. Well, as, as I say, I mean, I know several people involved in hunting and they, they would be among the most decent people I, I know, John. Now, if you said to me, would I go out with a gun and kill things? No, no, I would not. And I couldn't do it. My stomach wouldn't allow me to do it. Um, whatever about the morals of the thing. But equally, I'll, I'll have my steak, though. And, uh, you know, I'll eat my, my meat. And uh, so well, does that well, make I mean, me a hypocrite? Of, no, of some kind? no, because, you know, what what is dangerous here is that we just kind of put everything together. Let's look at hunting on its own. And, and that's one issue. Yeah. Eating meat is a separate issue, but what I would say, and well, my involves the killing of a, an animal, though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely! Like we, like I am a vegan myself. Mm. I don't eat meat myself. But what I'm saying is that let's not kind of push everything into one issue. Mm. The, the issue here is: is hunting in 2024 still acceptable in Ireland? And the vast majority of people, uh, which have been conducted by survey and companies, have said that we want the ban on blood sports. Mm. Like, it is crazy, Fran, that in 2024, we still have live hair coursing in Ireland. Mm. I mean, live hair coursing is something that's knuckle-dragging. You know, to be involved in live hair coursing is unbelievable in this day and age. It should be banned. Likewise with fox hunting. And well, what about the young. people, in fact, many of our politicians would come out and say, yeah, that's all fine and very well, but it's part of our culture. It's part of rural pursuits and all of that, John, you know. It's... Well, well, you see, if, if, we, if we adopted that attitude, we still be sending children up chimneys. You know, we have to move on and mm. we have to kind of be a more modern society. There's simply no reason for a hair coursing to be taking place in 2024. I mean, like to release an animal in front of two greyhounds in this day mm. and age and be protected by the law. But if I'd done the same situation using a kitten or a cat, I'd have the, the law on top of it. Um, well, yeah. We have to be real. You know, I know, and and it's an issue I've come across myself. God knows. I mean, there's too yeah. many deer around at the moment that they're providing like uh, a lot of danger to people driving uh, on our roads and stuff. And there's talk about culling them in some sort of a, uh, a fashion. Yeah. You know. You see, see this 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 thing again. When we come to wildlife in this country, we don't have an informed opinion on in relation to deer, and specifically of the four species of deer that we have in Ireland. We don't know exactly the population density at all. Nobody knows, not even the hunting community. So we don't actually scientifically, independently know there is too much deer in this country. And also, well, I just know that they're running out in front of me, up up near where I live, um, when well, I'm driving, John. And that's uh, oh, th- that's right. Yeah. But what we would say in that situation is that what we need to do is we need to work with the people who, who have no self-interest in hunting deer, which is the Road Safety Authority. We should be sitting down with them and saying, where are the roads in Ireland that are causing problems with deer? Mm. And let's examine a non-humane solution. Because when you call deer, you're doing it again the following year, so you're not really solving a long-time problem. And unfortunately, the only solution to deer control in Ireland is something that people are not prepared to accept, which is the introduction of an apex predator, such as the wolf mm. or the lynx. Mm. And unfortunately, but you know, most people laugh at that notion. Or they... They, they do, yeah. but the, the reality is Ireland is not uh, civilised enough, I don't think, to even contemplate that, because look what we're doing to the hare. Mm. The hare is a protected species under the European and Irish law, and yet we allow hare courses to take mm. place. But if we introduced the wolf or the lynx to Ireland, we wouldn't have any need for deer hunting. Can I just finally get you to respond to a couple of texts coming in, and if I sum them up, basically what they're saying, that you're using uh, an event like what happened, an unfortunate event like happened on Saturday night to push your own agenda. What do you say to that, John? 
We have to highlight the issue of animal abuse at every opportunity. Mm. That's what we're told. That's what we do. We're a voluntary organisation, and we don't want to be every time uh, protesting because we want the law changed. So if if hunting was banned, we would concentrate on other issues. But we have to, at every opportunity, raise this issue because, unfortunately, Fran, we could be talking about a different situation this morning. A very different situation. You mean if something more more serious than than the young lad being being wounded? Is that what you're saying to me? Exactly. And 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 you wonder, Fran, is it only a matter of time that we're on the radio and we're saying what? And and why are we doing this? And this is purely for because somebody enjoys putting cartridges into an animal. That's that's the bottom line, Fran. All right, John. We we'll leave it there. But thanks very much indeed for your time this morning. Thanks, John. And uh, thanks, Fran. Good morning to you. Uh, Jamie was on to say our land is preserved, Fran. We've signs up, and still people are hunting with uh, guns quite often uh, on the land. Uh, somebody disagreeing with uh, John saying hunting is a lovely, healthy pastime and it's part of our culture. Uh, nothing about how much time and money invested into the wildlife breeding programs that are simply being. Uh, killed by pine martens that are protected by uh, the government. Somebody else uh, saying it's rubbish that we're hearing from uh, John this morning. Well, it's John's opinion. Uh, Fran, around 1976, and my sister was hiking in Kerry's Castle and uh, two lads were up there shooting in the area where kids and adults go hiking uh, for recreation. Thankfully, she wasn't killed, but they were eventually taken to court and just got a slap on the wrist. Um, shooting deer with a shotgun uh, does not happen, uh, Fran. I don't think anybody... Did anybody say say that I did? Maybe, maybe. Um, OK, somebody wondering about the local gun club giving a statement. And stuff. Well, they haven't done so so far, as far as I know, but I'll certainly uh, see what the story is where that is concerned. We'll take a break back in just a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, some of your, some more of your response indeed to John. Hi, friend. This is an unfortunate accident, but it's being sensationalised. It does, however, highlight the stupidity and carelessness of some of the shooting fraternity. I shoot, but only with a safe background and not in built-up areas. Some people are not so careful. Responsible hunters frown on irresponsible behaviour. It also gives fuel to the likes of the anti-hunting do-gooders. Most hunters care about safety and help protect the countryside and habitat and sustainability of the animals they hunt. And that's in from Brian today. Uh, another listener saying, uh, the man is deluded. I'm hunting since I was 10 years old with my dad. 40 years of hunting now. I kill animals, uh, birds, and I harvest them for food for my table. Doing nothing wrong. Let the antis eat what they like. You don't hear any hunters telling them they can't uh, eat their genetically modified foods. Uh, it's a choice. Just like there's a choice that I like my meat. And uh, so it goes on. Oh, eight three three double one, double three double one. Now, the agriculture minister Charlie McConnell-Logan, he's calling on restaurants to cut down on the amount of food that they put on people's plates. He also says that no food outlet should be in a position to offer doggy bags to customers. Now, this is in response to the amount of food waste generated by the food service industry 
in Ireland with uh, 23% of the country's waste in, in 2020 coming from this sector. So, I suppose the question is, do you agree with the Minister where this is concerned that restaurants should cut back as part of their, I don't know, eco-friendly efforts, I suppose, to tackle food waste? Well, Joanne joins me now. Joanne, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. Do you kind of agree with the Minister, Joanne? Yes, I do. I I do agree with him, actually, in regards to the portion size. I think... um, Anywhere I've been lately, I've had huge portion size when I when um, I go to eat out, and I feel you feel pressure to finish what's on the plate. I think it's the Irish guilt; it's the not leaving food or wasting yeah. food. And I know myself; I can't, I cannot even some of the portion sizes I've I've gotten. It doesn't even look like I've eaten anything off the plate, and. Um, there's been times where I've given food over onto my husband's plate to make it look like I've eaten more than I have, <laughs> you know? Yes, I do. Because know. otherwise you're going to have the staff coming down questioning you, going, is everything okay? And I've had that where I've been like, the food is lovely, it was just too much. And I've had them coming down multiple times and then been like, oh, well, I'm going to have to explain to the chef why this is coming back. And I'm, oh. just, I'm just like, it's, it's too much, you know? I must be going to the wrong restaurants or else I'm just a savage, I think, Joanne. <laughs> um, and what about, I mean, OK, if they give you less food, should they charge you less money? Um, I don't know, because I, I think quality over quantity mm. I'd always prefer. And if you, if you notice lately, actually, what, you, what is very popular is tapas. Yes. So a lot yeah. of people are going for tapas and it's small portions, but you can try different things and it's especially if you're going out for a few drinks or something like that, it's better and easier to manage than a big meal. But, um, you know, mm. you're getting to try different things. It's, it's You're just eating little bits and um, it, it's easier on the system. And it's also, I suppose, there's less waste involved in something like that, you know? And you're not talking about carveries now when you're talking about restaurants, are you? Because that's where you tend to get stuff loaded on the plates or they, they think that that's what you want. No. No, you, you, the sit-down restaurants where you, you're yeah, still getting too much. Restaurants. Yeah, sit-down restaurants. Yeah, I'm still getting, like, a, an awful lot, you know? Um, way, way too much. And I've found even that, you know... Sometimes I'd be like, well, will I ask for... I don't want to ask for a half portion because I've no problem paying the money. I just mm. don't want that much on my plate. Oh, yes. yeah. You know, and I, or, or do I ask for the children's menu, do you? know, and then there's an embarrassment with that. But, you know, um, it's not a problem with paying for it. It's, I don't want that much on my plate and I don't want the embarrassment of giving it back. Yeah. Funny enough, when I heard that the minister came up with this, I said there is going to be war over this. Now, that not only are they telling us what we can and can't say or when we, where we can and can't go, but now they're telling us how much food that we can have on yeah. our plates. I thought there was going to be war over this, but a lot of people are saying, yeah, I, I've had that experience, you know. Yeah, well, I suppose the, the numbers speak for themselves when, when they talk about how much food waste. Mm. It's happening. I I know in our household alone, there you know, there's only two of us there, and we still waste a lot of food. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, we, you know, you kind of have this it's the Irish mentality of of plenty. You know, um, often our eyes are bigger than our bellies, and and then when yeah. it's on the plate in front of you, you feel like you have to finish it. It's so you're overeating. And, and you say that, I mean, while you're careful about portions and the like, you still would have waste in your home, Joanne, would you? Yes, we would still we would still have some waste in our home, yeah. What, what yeah, do you and put that down to? Uh, again, the, the fear of running out, I think, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the fear of running out, uh, you know, that I, I'd buy more than we need. 
Mm. I would I would find, or we'd cook more than we'd need. You know, now we, we now we do find that we cook a dinner and it might last us for two days. You know, so mm. we're getting better. At it. But, well, yeah, yeah. My my mother used to always have too much in in case somebody would turn up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. I still think there's probably elements of that to us as well. You know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I think it's no harm in in getting, I suppose, portion sizes. You know. Get, getting them more realistic. We don't want to go down the, you know, I've spent a lot of time in America and in America the portion sizes are absolutely Huge. humongous. Huge. Yeah. Absolutely humongous. Yeah. And uh, there's no need for it all and you're taking away the food and, you know, realistically you're not eating it again, you know. Um, mm. You're not going to be going home that evening and having it again for dinner time. Yeah, it's, a, it's interesting. But you see, some people, when they go out for a meal, and I probably include myself in the, you know, we expect to sort of not being able to wag coming <laughs> coming out of the restaurant, and that's part of the experience. But Yeah. Yeah. But there's a difference, I suppose, in being satisfied and being overfull. Overfull, yes, I know. I know. You know, and often when I'm overfull, I feel sick. Yeah. Um, so uh, I do find that when, I'm, when the food is good, and I feel that you know when when the food is good, and then I can I can stop when I want to stop, and I'm not worried about you know okay it doesn't look like I've eaten anything or it doesn't look like I've eaten enough so hide it on someone else's plate. Yeah, but you know? but is that incredible that you feel you need to hide it so as not to offend the the staff? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Teresa was on to us making the point that the mantra growing up for most of us, uh, Joanne, was waste not, want not. You know, and you're yeah. not you're not leaving the table till you finish what's on your plate and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. You, you're saying we we still have elements of that. We do, we do, we still have elements of that, and it's probably in our in our nature as Irish Irish people, really. I think you know, yeah. uh, going back to the famine, like you know that we we used to have all of that, and now it's like it's thin. With, you I know? suppose, yeah. Ger wants to know where are these restaurants that are serving too much because I can never get enough. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we'll have to put a list of them up on the on the on uh, the website. Joanne, really good to talk to you today, and thanks very much. You for too, Thank you. Bye bye. You know. That's uh, Joanne there responding to the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConlogue, who has said that restaurants and food outlets uh, should cut down on the amount of food that they put on consumers' plates to reduce food waste. We're wondering what do you. What do you think about that? Oh eight three three double one double three double one. Will they be as eager to cut back on the prices? If I got a tiny portion, I would never return to that restaurant. Says Joe in third. Yeah, I kind of feel like that. Do you know whenever I'm in, and it's rare enough nowadays. Whenever I'm in a a, a posh, a so-called posh restaurant, I always think of my father. You know, because you get these little kind of marble potatoes on your on your plate uh, along with like uh, small amounts of food and I can only imagine what he would think if he saw that because there was always like six to eight potatoes on his plate and lots of meat and all of that kind of thing. Anyway uh, 083 311 back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie
Now, going back to my discussion with uh, John Tierney of the Association of Hunt Saboteurs, um, one of our listeners saying, uh, well said, John. We seem to forget we are animals too and putting bullets in any animal causes the same pain and suffering. But of course, there is no medical care or trauma counselling for non-human victims, says Cathy to us on 083-311-3311. On the subject of the Minister uh, McConnellogue, uh, saying the restaurants and food outlets should cut down on the amount of food on the plates. Uh, a listener says, I usually look for half dinners and I take away what's not eaten. Um, some places don't do small dinners. Why leave it behind when you bought the meal, says Mike. Um, somebody else saying there's something seriously wrong uh, if you need another human to decide how much you eat. And somebody else telling me we went out yesterday and had half plates. We would normally ask for what we want on the plate, such as one spoonful of mash, maybe one roast potato, as we wouldn't eat a full portion of dinner. But people themselves should ask for less if they want less and stop this nanny state. All right, let's continue with that uh, discussion because Lauren O'Reilly is a nutritionist and a frequent contributor to the show. And she joins me now. Good morning to you, Lauren. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you today. What do you think about the Minister coming out and saying that uh, restaurants should cut down on the amount of food that they put on our plates to reduce uh, food waste? How do you feel about that, Lauren? Um, I totally agree with him. Mm. I can understand why there might be people going kind of nanny state, big brothering our, our food portions and that sort of thing as well. But I'm sure you and the listeners have also experienced going into the restaurant and having the food piled high on top of the plate. Um, it also takes quite a lot of discipline <laughs> to not eat all the food on the plate. We, we eat with our eyes after all. Um, but I suppose what he's getting down to isn't isn't um, controlling individual portion sizes, it's controlling the food waste side of things. Mm. Um, so in Ireland, approximately quarter, one quarter of our produced food is wasted. One quarter? Um, My God. Yes. Wow. Of the food produ- we produce in Ireland, that's quite a that's quite a lot, and um, and we have set over seven hundred and fifty three thousand tons of food waste generated in Ireland every year. Um, as you can probably see on the news every day and every second day, there's floods and there's storms, and we can see the effects of global warming happening. So, um, one of the aspects to this is indeed the food waste and. It's not, in fact, the food waste itself, but it's, it's the chemicals, it's the methane that the food waste produces then as well that can contribute to global warming then so as this well. So this is the meat on our plates you're referring to then, it's, is it? All of the, all of the organic food. Hmm. So all, all food, uh, can cre- uh, when it's put into landfill, uh, can, can generate methane. And methane is maybe 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide. So it, it contributes to global warming then as well you know um mm. so in term in terms of that there's the global warming side of things um and now the restaurants contribute to approximately 23 percent of this food waste households contribute to 29 percent of this food waste so there is a multifaceted approach in terms of reducing down the food portion size within the restaurant because they're they're huge and you know sometimes it almost puts us off our eating, having too much food on the plate. It's, it's, it's not necessary often, mm. you know, and almost from, from a public health perspective. And Lauren, is part of the issue that we associate the larger portions with value for money? It's value for money, but we have a thing in Ireland and across the world 
called portion distortion, that we've lost all concept of what a, what a true portion size should be. You know, we also have an, an obesity epidemic going on at the, at the same time as mm. well. So we could be contributing to um, protecting the environment, but also protecting public health at the same time as well. Mm. You know, so if we, if we, I think I've discussed it before, in terms of what a portion size should be, I'd like to use the hand as a visual aid. If anyone yes. can visualise their hand, you can, mm. if you're listening to the radio and not driving a car, you can put your hand out in front of you, front of you right now. So if you put your hand out front, the palm of your hand raised is a portion of protein. That is a quarter of your plate. Uh, if you make a fist and go below the bone on your fist, that is, a, that is a portion of carbohydrates. So your pasta, your bread, your rice, your potatoes, and so on as well. Uh, and then the remaining half of your plate is two-fifths of vegetables. You know, mm. um, if restaurants had the appropriate serving tools or food ut- uh, utensils for measuring out those onto plates, then people would be getting the right portion sizes that they're meant to be eating, essentially. There'll be plenty of food on the plate. Uh, and then that'll essentially help prevent food waste. And I suppose the obesity, obesity epidemic that we're facing at the moment then as well, you know. And also, um, you know, if there is food that's not wasted and hasn't been put on somebody's plate, because once it's been on the plate, it'll go straight into the bin. Uh, if there's food that's not used in a restaurant, you know, we could, we could give it to charity. We could give it to food banks. We could give it to food clouds. You know, we give to the home, to, to homeless as well. So, for example, yeah. there's Clamel Soup Kitchen and Food Bank. You know, so unused food that hasn't been put on somebody's plate, if it's not used, can actually be put to good use then as well. And what about the people who might say to you, and I might be included in this myself, Lauren, is that, that you know, when we go out for a meal, it's a treat. That, mm. you know, we needn't necessarily at that, for that hour or couple of hours, be conscious about what's happening globally or conscious even about the old waistline you know it's a, it's a treat mm. and it's it's not happening all that often and yeah. i think it's, i think so it, it is quite common that they put even when i get a wrap made up in the deli i'm like what the fuck the amount of food that's gone into that wrap i wouldn't normally eat that if i, if I was serving it myself yes. um you know so it, it is kind of a multifaceted approach if, if that's the standard measure that they put on every plate you know some people will eat, finish the plate, mm. um, whether they whether they're full or not. So, you know, uh, and then and then some people it, w- it will be wasted then as well. So at least if they're measuring out, they're not going to they're providing with the amount of the, the food portion size that, that you should be eating in the first place. Uh, if you want that bit more, rather than putting it on a plate of standard, if you if they put the standard measures on the plate um, with the appropriate portion sizes, you can go. Can I have a little bit more potato? Can I have a little bit more meat? Mm. Rather than putting too much on the plate for everybody. Yes. I mentioned carveries earlier on when I was speaking to one of our listeners. Are they more to blame where this is concerned? Because it seems to me that, you know, if I go to a carvery, a lot more ends up on my plate than if I order from the table. I think think the thing they like to be able to give you value for your money. Mm. You know, they like to, they like to, Pop plenty of meat. They, I'm sure a restaurant doesn't want you going away, going, God, they were a little bit scared mm. there with the food on the plate. Maybe the restaurant doesn't want to have that reputation. Whereas every, if every restaurant is giving the standard measure, mm. um, that makes life a little bit easier. I'm sure there's people going, Happen if you're saying that, taking the food off my plate. But really, it's, it's you know, it's, it's eating the, the portion size that's appropriate for you. Um, from a health perspective, but also environmentally at the same time as well. Like, it's not just the restaurants that can 
play a part. We can play a part in our own home then as well. Like we waste approximately 700 euro per household on food waste wow. every year. Wow. You know, and that's 700 euros. I'm pretty sure people can put And what, what kind of waste? Bit. What kind of waste is that, Lauren? It's the food waste. No, 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 but what what kind of food are we wasting You'd be like looking that? at, so a lot of people go off and they mightn't look at the best before day of their food. Yeah, when yeah. They, when they put in, So you have to make a conscious effort as well. They don't look at the best before day. They might buy some yogurts and they're gone off in two days and they, off they go into the bin, you know. Uh, and it's also, from, from a household perspective, we have control here. We can actually take responsibility both for saving money within our own households, but also protecting the environment too. So, you know, when you're purchasing your food, check the best before dates on it, um, on the use-by use, use dates as well, um, and even make a shopping list because we end up buying surplus. We, we also shop with our, with our eyes and meet mm. the impulsive buyers as well. So we end up buying a lot more food than we actually end up consuming. Um, so even make that, it's all about meal planning, making your shopping list, and only really purchasing the food that you need to compose your meals rather than... So much food that you don't end up using and throwing in the bin from the fridge then as well. Yeah. You know? is, is there an element of Irishness about this as well? Um, because several sure. of, of our contributors this morning making that point that, you know, that notion that we have to have plenty because in the past, of course, we all struggled to, to put food on the table. Is, is that or is that I, nonsense? That's a really good point. That is a really good point. And it's almost like I'm not going to eat now again. It's almost coming up to the Christmas then again, taking all the food off the shelves. And we, we have to eat, consume as much food as we possibly can for fear that we'll starve then as well. So mm. it could take back the famine. Yes. That, that whole piling up the plate. And I mean, there's also kind of a typical Irish thing of going into somebody's house and going, you'll have something to eat. Will you have a cup of tea? Will you have some food? Will you have a sandwich? And you don't want anyone coming into your house and them not being fed. Yes. Uh, yeah. You also don't want them coming into your house and you put, not putting enough food on the plate. Yeah. Uh, and then go, them going away going, oh, God, they didn't, put, they didn't serve me a lot of food there now. You don't want that reputation yourself either. You know, so I, I do understand it from that perspective too. Yes. But I think it's coming back down to understanding your food portion sizes from within a household yourself you know, using your hands as a visual aid to go, am I putting too much food on my plate? And even using your hand as a visual aid to, to work out how much food do I need to purchase, you know, um, from a family perspective or a single perspective then as well, you know, looking at those those um, use-by dates and best-before dates on your food and then even cooking up some food, if they are close to expiry, cooking up some food and popping them in the freezer. You know, one of the uh, things he said, though, that I was a little bit surprised about, he said no food outlet should be in a position to offer doggy bags to customers. Now, I thought that would have um, neutralized the waste because, you know, you're not wasting and you're taking it home. You can have mm. it yourself, heat it up or literally give it to the dog or whatever. Um, what do you feel about that or how do you feel about that? That's a really good point. That is a really good point, to be fair. And really, it, it goes against everything as well because again you're you're you are using your leftovers yeah so let's say I, I i actually disagree with that in the sense that if you're if you're once it's not going in the bed <laughs> mm. and you're going you're actually going to physically eat it that's fine i wonder if he is he more concerned about the containers that the food 
the donkey bags or mm. the donkey boxes are going in. So they use plastic. He, he didn't say that, but what I took from mm. it, maybe he's saying that, you know, if you got the proper amount on your plate, you wouldn't need mm. the, the, the doggy bag. You know, but a lot of people enjoy yeah. that, that they take home food and they yeah. eat it up and it's, it's an extra treat at some other point. You know? if, if you're bringing it home and you're eating it and it's not going to waste, I don't see any problem with the doggy bag. To yeah. be fair. Um, I, I, what, what would be an issue are those plastic containers that you might get yes, your Chinese course. in. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so unless they go in doggy cardboard boxes, um, that would be kind of a way around that one. But I, I wouldn't see any problem yeah. with the doggy bags going home. But I th- definitely think it's a multifaceted approach in terms of the restaurants and what we do in the home then as well. Well, you know, if you saw the cut of me, Lauren, that I'm fond of my, my food. The only time I find too much food, actually, funnily enough, is with, and you mentioned takeaway, is with a Chinese takeaway. Uh, for some reason yeah. or other, they, there appears to be too much food when I, when I get that. Um, would you go along with that, that sometimes the takeaways are extra generous? They would be extra generous. And actually, I'll be honest with you, I'd, I'd often get a kid's portion. Right. <laughs> it does me perfectly, you know. But Or you could you could use one portion between two people. Share the rice and share the the um, the meat or, or protein portion with, with somebody else, you know. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Somebody wondering about the waste in hospitals and canteens uh, as well. Is that something you're familiar with, uh, Lauren? Um. It would, go, it would go along the same line as the restaurants then as well. So it's yeah. all about, I, don't, I, I think they want to make sure that everyone's fed. You, you could be coming in to visit a loved one and that might be the only meal you have that day. Um, or, you know, it might actually be the patients coming down yes. um, to get their foods in the canteen then as well. So they, they'd want to make sure that the patients are well fed they are having their dinner then as well. I, I, again, I suppose. And just, just finally, if I could, just be, before I leave you go, um, several people making the points about the supermarkets with that notion of selling two for the price of one yeah. or, or, or whatever. Um, it, it, does that play a part in this uh, somewhere? It does. It does. And actually, I wrote a piece on, on marketing psychology in terms of going shopping. Um, and it's, oh, my God, the, the whole area of marketing psychology and uh, manipulating people into purchasing things that they don't need and uh, impulsive buying of for one and getting value here. And, and very, very often, that's not on the healthiest food. That's often on chocolate and biscuits and sweets and the not-so-favourable foods then as well. It, I, I'd really like to see supermarkets making more of those deals for healthier meals rather than the chocolate and the biscuits and the sweets. And we definitely end up with, with a surplus of those then as well, both on our waistline and uh, in our cupboards then as well. Lauren, it's always a pleasure. Now, uh, happy New Year to you and your family, Lauren. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. That's uh, Lauren O'Reilly there, who is a, a nutritionist, speaking to us there and uh, making reference to the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnellogue, saying that uh, restaurants and food outlets in general should cut down on the amount of food that they put on our plates. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. Caroline, thank you for that and many happy returns to you as well. Uh, listen, Ron, uh, getting involved in that conversation about Charlie McConnellogue um, 
saying that we need to reduce the amount of food on our plates uh, to avoid waste. And this one says, you love this one, Fran. A pub owner asked a group of his customers, was everything okay after their dinner? One replied, yes, but it was scarce on the plate. So he replied, I'm here to feed ye, not to fatten ye. So there you go. Um, <laughs> Tom was on to us and he says, when I go out for a meal, I always bring home food with me uh, inside me, that is, says Tom. God, all the wags are out today. Fair play. Um, somebody else said about um, hospital food as well, uh, saying the food waste in hospitals, absolutely shocking, Fran. The food uh, in some of the hospitals appalling and mainly ends up in the bin. So uh, there you go. Um, uh, Liam was on to say, Fran, six healthy Irish spuds are like your dad's uh, six to eight spuds. Uh, nobody talks about the amount of food waste from the big supermarkets and uh, thanks to this ridiculous EU straight carrots and good-looking spuds sort of thing and uh, sometimes our uh, European Union contribute to food waste. So there you go. So that's just a sample of what's coming into us uh, today. But let's uh, talk about financial stuff right now uh, with Francis. Financial advice with FOH Financial Limited. Tried, trusted and experienced advice. See foh.i FOH Financial Limited is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. And uh, Francis O'Hanlon is with me in studio. Happy New Year, Francis. Happy New Year to you, Francis. Good to see you. What do you, what do you think about that uh, Charlie McConlogue there sure. saying we need to... Actually, probably, excuse the pun, feeds in quite <laughs> nicely into what we're going to be talking about, about budgeting and, yeah, you know, yeah. people looking at what they're buying and do they need what they're buying. I, I think we mentioned what it Lauren O'Reilly said to me, uh, a quarter of what we buy into the house is wasted. Yeah, what, I, what? I got, Fran, I can say that as, again, even before Christmas, we were talking about you're not feeding the nation, mm. you know, the province yeah. or whatever it be. It's only a couple of days, the shops are open. But I mean, even, uh, I look at my own fridge and look at what you're taking out and saying, oh yeah, I well, I get that just in case. But, you know, how many cartons of cream do you need? Um, and and you'd end up using half of one, maybe. Uh, so I, I would agree. Mm. I think there's a lot of waste. Is it a good conversation to have then, Francis? I think so. Yeah. Look, yeah. What, it's not going to do anyone any harm. I think it's a good conversation to have. And, you know, at the end of the day, people know their own households uh, within reason. Mm. And that it might just pe- make people a little bit more mindful. Uh, you know, I know I, I a husband was, we were going around, and I was going, no, we don't need that. No, put that back uh, to a certain yeah. extent. And we didn't need it. Yeah. Uh, but And we still had too much. But I, I think, look, in particular for events, Christmas, definitely people need to look at what they're buying, myself included. Yeah, we completely saying, you know, go over the But top, I think that can yeah. filter into every, you know, f- our, our weekly shop. Some people are great freezers, you know, they'll make food and they'll put it in the freezer. Unfortunately, with my freezer, if it goes in, it tends to end up in the bin. So, <laughs> Let's, uh, oh, I again. know. You're going to look at some uh, financial resolutions yeah. for for the new year. We seem to have similar conversations at this time every yeah, year, absolutely. but nonetheless, very important. It, it, to, and it to, is similar because about, yeah. it's just it's a common thread. And yeah. again, it's the time of year where people are looking at their new year resolutions, um, and that includes financial res- mm. resolutions. Uh, and I suppose again, you're looking back at what you've spent at Christmas, um, you know, ideally, please remember 50 weeks time, we're looking at Christmas 24. Mm. So you need to be saving for Christmas 24 now, Mm. even though you're just past Christmas 23. Ideally save, but look again, 
you know, if you're saving or borrowing, it might be that you can try and wean yourself off the borrowing element mm. by trying to save a little bit more. How do you get around that, week? Francis? Because if you're on that treadmill of borrowing every Christmas and paying off, yeah. during the, it's hard to save then. Yeah. Can, can you wean yourself off you that? You can, but again, look, Fran, and I've said this before, People sometimes that have very little money are the best budgeters because they have to be. And they're really in tune with prices and they're really in tune with saving and and squirrelling money away. Um, So, look, obviously the best way of weaning yourself off borrowing is by cutting back what you're you're spending in the first place but also maybe increasing what you're saving week to week so that you need to borrow less and eventually, it might take you a couple of years to do this, but eventually you might wean yourself off the need to borrow completely because you have it saved. But that takes disposable income. Okay, Of, of course, yeah. So what, what should we look at then, Francis? So look, I mean, I would say, of course, every year people, there's always some excuse for I Christmas know. and yeah. oh, possibly you overindulged and went the extra mile again because it was a special Christmas for whatever reason. So just look at, you know, it's done. Mm. Don't beat yourself up too much, mm. but you know, just have a look at it and what did you spend? Be it that you even even if you had the savings, mm. just what did you spend it on? Did you overindulge? Did you need to do that? Could you do that differently again? And I suppose if it it's kind of like the ghost of Christmas past, the debt that you may have, you need to deal with it. Mm. So not all debt is created equal, and we kind of mentioned this before Christmas. You know, just be careful if you do have debt where is the debt okay is it on a credit card Mm. is it um, a term loan Um, because if you look at where the debt is then that will kind of what you need to look at is the interest that you're paying on that debt so for example if it is on a credit card could you move that credit card to another provider and possibly to get 0% finance for 6 or 9 or 12 months there's some very good offers out there but just be careful about the interest that you're going to be paying after the date right. of the, the free interest, okay? Just be careful what interest applies thereafter, okay? Right, be- well, what do you mean by that? It might be attractive to, yeah. to make the change, but yeah. after that then, yeah. Absolutely. it might be more expensive. It's a big shop window at the end of the day. So, yeah, okay. you know, they're bringing you in on the, the, the under the, uh, I suppose, the terms of a 0% finance for yes. 12 months on your credit card. But if you're going to end up paying 2% more after that event as to what you and you haven't broken the habit as to how you deal with your credit card then it might be a false economy so just have a look be box clever on that but if you can move your credit card now don't move the credit card and and build it up or do nothing with it for the six nine or twelve months move your credit card if you're going to clear it down in that six nine or twelve months Okay, and use that opportunity. Yeah, and yeah. if you think, well, look, I tend to do this is a cycle I'm in all the time. Then maybe what you need to do is maybe move the credit card and or put it onto a term loan, but get rid of the term loan in eleven months because if you're going to borrow again for next Christmas, you need to be rid of that term loan. Mm. Don't be dragging that bag of rocks, or they'll be the most expensive Christmases you've ever had if you're yes. dragging them all forward. Did you hear? Ma- Many stories about money lenders, for example. For yeah, Christmas look, past. I mean, that's just a feature. Is it? Um, yes, yeah. it is. Uh, and I suppose the concern is that I suppose the main money lenders that were there 
um, the legitimate ones, a lot of those are gone now. Yeah. Um, so then you're looking at people that are maybe not legitimate. Um, money lenders are regulated by the central bank, the legitimate ones. Mm. The others, you know, don't go there because it's completely uncharted territory from a point of view of interest. And I would say, you know, there's the credit union are great to help people. Mm. Um, they're, you know, they have their it makes sense loan, which will help people that are on that are on social welfare. They maybe feel they've nowhere else that they can go for loans. Um, but the credit union are great to help people out anyway if you're saving of on course, a regular yeah. basis. And again, the interest is relatively cheap if you're looking at some of the more expensive alternatives. And I'll even say that goes for even a credit card where you might be pay, paying 23, 24%. So just look at where has your debt, where is your debt now after Christmas if you have debt? And how best can you deal with that going forward? How can you make it cheaper on yourself? How can you get rid of it at the fastest pace? Because especially if you're going to end up back into the arms of whatever lender next Christmas, you need to have it gone ideally. Yeah, and of course, as you always say, the credit rating. I mean, oh, yeah. if, if you miss a couple of payments, oh, you, absolutely. you're in trouble with yeah, your absolutely. credit Yeah, absolutely, and right? it can have really, really far-reaching impact um, on your whole financial life. Yes. You know, it can be in five years' time, you know, you're going to get your first house or whatever, your mortgage, or three years' time, you're standing in the forecourt of a garage and you want to get your higher purchase agreement or whatever it be. You know, you don't want to be hearing about it then. So be mm. really, really careful. And that could be just one missed payment yeah, on, on a credit card that will be there for five yeah, years. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something people need to be very mindful of. And you can do a credit check, free credit check every year um, on the central credit register and have a look at it and see how your credit rating is. Just in case there's something that's niggling you. Oh, did that ever close off properly? God, I never got a letter from them. Don't just take a chance on it. Go and check it. OK, just in case, because banks make mistakes. Funny that. Funny that, yes, indeed. they do. So you just need to mind your own credit rating. Time to, to look at tax and tax back and tax due and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, absolutely. And look, and again, we say this every year because this is the, the truth of it. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are leaving money behind them. There's an estimate I, I read there the other day that there's over 300 euro 300 million euro even unclaimed for 2022 alone. Oh. Money that's sitting there belong to us, the citizens. Right, so what, what, what is this money? So this is money that people haven't claimed that, that you know, might be GP visits, that uh, it might be medical expenses, uh, registered physio expenses. Uh, it could be flat rate expenses for certain people with uniforms, equipment for work. Could be income protection. The thing that I'm saying is the most important thing for working people to have where they're entitled to tax break at their own rate on the premium. So they're all the things that are being left behind by people. And now we're adding into this in that there's the allowance now for children in college there's allowance for children that are renting accommodation in college there's people there's an allowance um for people that are renting properties so 500 euros per person this was for last year that's actually increasing i think to 750 think so. from this yes. year yeah. so you know all of these this is all money that you're entitled to claim okay so y you need to do this and of course there was this i, I suppose one off 
um, of the variable tracker rate mortgages for 2022. Now is the time we were saying, yes, this is something that you can claim, but wait, you can't do it yet. You can actually do it now because 2023 is passed. So um, anyone that was on a tracker rate basically can claim tracker or variable rate where the interest that they were paying in 2023 was higher than what they were paying at the end of 2022 they can make a claim maximum of 1250 euros but the maximum mortgage they had at that the end of 22 must be 500,000 no more and minimum of 80,000 so again that's more money there is, yeah. for people Did to I claim. Did I something uh, recently as well that you're due money back if you work through Covid? Did I see something about that recently as well? Uh, I, yeah, not that not I, sure, I didn't yeah. hear it from. No, I, I was saying it in the office maybe, maybe it's one of my sort of figaries in my head yeah, but, but I heard about something You know what, let's yeah, check let's, it out let's check it out um, as well, yeah uh, what what else there by way of tax back, uh, Francis? So I mean, I and again, I would say from a point of view, again, GP, medicine, prescribed, registered physio, hospital, any surgical expenses that there might be. Like some people, sometimes people forget that if they have, say, they have private medical insurance and that they make a claim on their with their private medical insurance, the residual balance they can actually still claim twenty percent back from revenue. Okay, right. You know, so. All of these things add up. Yes, and and I see a note that you have down here, and I'm so guilty of this, not keeping receipts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's so important, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and again, not do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Friday night, I sat down with all of the receipts that I had accumulated in the year 2023, and I put them into piles. Right. You know, okay, shred. This one was medical receipts, you know, revenue, blah, 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 and split them all out, okay? And you come back to a very small pile, and this is the pile that you can actually get some money back right. from tax or whatever it be. So keep right. your receipts. Well, keep everything. But even, yeah. you know, the TV that you bought during the year, yeah. and the receipt is scrunched up in a ball somewhere, you know, put it into a, an envelope so that when you're thinking, or oh, say something happens to TV, you're thinking... Yeah, where do I have that? Oh, I have that receipt in receipts of 2023. You, you mean know, from so an insurance point of view or something? Yeah, yeah possibly. Whatever. But yeah. even from a, a even a guarantee point yeah, of view, yeah, yeah. that you know that you have the receipt there from when you bought that. God, am I looking guilty here? I, I, no, I keep so little. You know, it's you just know? a habit, Fran. Yeah, it's just something that I do every year. And I think a lot of people do this, you know, but I think it's something just a discipline to get into, just to have a look. January is a great month to look at all of those yes. things. Uh, something else that we discussed in the past as well, that notion, you know, you're tapping the credit card yeah. all of the time, but yeah. we're not necessarily keeping track of no, what we're... People are not. And they're tapping. And again, even from a point of view of just have a look and see you know, sometimes I, I heard uh, from a fraud point of view, I've heard some really strange stories lately of people being charged exorbitant amounts, especially for taxi fares, right, in Dublin. Right. Um, because they just tap. Tap. And, you know, what was a 20 euro journey cost somebody 2,000 euros, right? So I, I don't know why, don't why I'm laughing, but again, you know, maybe we'll say Vino maybe on board somebody coming home. Yeah. Um, an opportunity. Uh, they put in the amount was in. They were looking at it, thought they could see it, and all of a sudden it's gone through in their card. So that's just obviously that's fraud or 
look, we'll say sometimes stuff can happen mm. and an extra digit can be put in, but you need to be mindful of yeah. your card and you need to be mindful when you're using it. And you, you know, we all have a habit of saying, Ara, no, I don't want a receipt. Get the receipt. Yeah. Just so that you, especially on bigger ticket items or maybe more obscure places that you're using the card, get the receipt so that you can double check it afterwards. Very good indeed. And by way of resolution as well, that that's a good idea. I mean, keep keep receipts and, mm. and, and do the problem. One, one of our listeners saying, I keep an envelope in the car at all times for receipts and I make sure that they don't get uh, thrown out. Well, fair play to you. That's, yeah, that's the way to, to do it. Um, so in terms of budgeting for the year as well, I mean... I know people are probably saying, ah, look, would you stop? But that's important, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but people you know? are budgeting, Fran, and they don't even realise they're budgeting. Yeah. You know, you can put labels and bells and whistles and flashing lights on anything, but people, you know, majority people budget. Mm. Whether they do it, you know, to the best of their ability is another matter. Mm. Because you have to, unless you're very, very wealthy, that you don't have to worry yeah. about what's in your accounts or what's coming in or what's going out. But it's just a good thing to do. I would sit down, I would take your current account statement, I would have a look at what you're spending, who, what direct debits for who, why are you paying five of X when actually you could get rid of three of them? Yes, you know because you don't actually use them really anymore, especially these subscriptions that people know, have, yeah. and then all of a sudden, by just looking at those things and saving that money, all of a sudden you might have Christmas twenty four sorted. Wouldn't you that, know, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, and and if I can give a bit of personal advice, because again, it's something that happened to me. Check on apps that you paid yeah. subscription that that are rolling. Yeah, that are rolling that Absolutely. you might be using at all now. Yeah, says Absolutely, and even apps as in on your PC and yeah. everything else that you're subscribing to such a thing and but then all of a sudden you're starting to use another because it's better and maybe more current and then you're still paying the other and, one. And that's exactly what happened to, to me but of course these will roll over Absolutely. unless you, you stop yeah, because them no, well. Sometimes there can be annual subscriptions as well and people forget about them. Yes. The Consumer Protection Commission, why are you highlighting that? Yeah, I'm just right? saying it's a great resource. Yeah. And I think people should use it more. Um, and, uh, you know, varies. Like, obviously, if people are dealing with a financial advisor who's broad-based, obviously they will help them on various items. But I think the Consumer Protection Commission website is great and I think is a great thing for people, a great resource for consumers um, to look at various aspects of their finances, including calculators mm. uh, for budgeting and helping them to budget on one thing or the other. Of course. Um, consideration of the mortgage switching, yeah. possibly? Big, yeah. Look, again, these are the big ticket items. Obviously, yeah. people will be looking at We'll touch on these maybe a little bit uh, in deep, deeper as we do as questions come in during the year. Um, but, you know, just be careful about fixing at the moment. Uh, interest rates are expected to start coming down yeah. mid-late this year. So anyone that's fixing in for too long at the moment, just be careful, but there's still value out there. But just do it under guidance, okay? Right. Which, which just do it under guidance. Yes, indeed. Um, if people are in difficulty, just finally, Francis, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you always advocate, go for help. Absolutely. You know? yeah. Look, I know it's really hard, and I know it's very hard to maybe admit, but, you know, the... It's and again, this sounds such a cliche, but it is the first step to getting it sorted. If you know you have a problem, say, okay, I have a problem. Where can you go? I mean, Mabs are a fantastic resource mm. as well. Um, the Insolvency Service of Ireland is there. 
um, and it might be that you would need to be referred to a personal insolvency practitioner. Now, MABS might look at it as well and they can deal with some of those smaller items in-house, but it might be that they refer you to a personal insolvency practitioner or if you're dealing with the likes of myself who is specifically qualified in the area of debt management, it might be that we can deal with it uh, in-house or it might be that we're also saying, no, you need a personal insolvency practitioner uh, to deal with this matter. But just deal with it hmm. because that's half the battle. Of course Knowing where you stand. And and ju- just to give a bit of hope to people who might be in the position listening to us, you You've seen people come out the other end oh, absolutely. of this, Francis. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. It's yeah. fantastic. Uh, you know, and not only see them come out the other end, see them thrive. Yes. Because this is, how I liken this is oil on your feathers. Like, it's it's pulling you down. Mm. You can't, you haven't got the freedom to spread your wings mm. and do what you need to do. Stuff happens. People end up in difficulties, you know, financial difficulties in their life for one reason or another. Sometimes it's your fault, sometimes it's not. And even if it is your fault, you still need a chance to stand up again and get free of it. So this is your chance uh, and deal with it because there's there's great solutions out there for people, but it's the freedom to be able to move on. All right, and, and you need and, that freedom, and, and you've seen people absolutely uh, achieve that, which is very important. If people want to talk to you or your team, Francis, yeah, they can contact us via the website www.foh.ie, or they can ring the office 052-612-9487. All right, great to see you again, Francis. Thanks, and thanks, thanks very much. We'll take a break. Back with more tip today. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Time to chat about global politics and uh, glad to be joined, uh, as usual, by Thomas Conway. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. Uh, good to see you today. Um... The US presidential election, Mr. Trump and uh, Biden. Um, you described yourself unprecedented, unchartered. Um, what, what's happening? What's it's, happening at the moment? It's incredible. I, I mean, in one, sense, in one sense, I can't wait because anyone who's a political nut or who's a political <laughs> anorak loves these kind of things. Yeah. And it is the big event. November 7th, it's the big event of this year. At the same time, I, I fear for what's going to happen because this campaign could be poisonous. It could be toxic. Uh, the degree of animosity between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, and it is likely mm. going to be a rematch of Joe Biden yes. or Donald How Trump. How sure are we about that? Well, I, I would say barring unforeseen illness or death, you know, uh, and I, I allude to the candidate's age yes. when I say that, they're almost a shoo-in to... Uh, uh, to fight it out, to slog it out against each other once more, that that'll be confirmed by the end of uh, by the end of March, almost. Once well, the are primaries- the primaries? Irrelevant then. Really. The primaries are effectively irrelevant because Trump is soaring so far from a Republican perspective. Trump is soaring so far ahead in the polls. His next nearest challenger is Nikki Haley, and she's well behind him. She could be a running mate, I would suggest, uh, for vice president. Possibly unlikely. Trump is, has kind of shied away from that question. Who will he pick? But I fancy Nikki Haley as a potential running mate for him. Biden is more or less unchallenged in the Democratic ranks, and it's rare that a sitting incumbent president would be challenged for the Democratic nomination. But he has made his mind up. He is going to run again. And he looks like he kicked his campaign off effectively on Friday night with a 
a speech which contained a, a stinging rebuke of Trump uh, on the eve of the third anniversary of the January the 6th capital attacks. He lashed out at Trump, lashed out at the Trump supporters, uh, the Trump support base and Trump's uh, mm. Trump's vision for the country. So it's a very interesting one. So, so is that he Biden's fight for the presidency, will it centre around having a go at Trump then? Is I it? think it will. I think it will. And we have to remember, this is going to be a very different campaign for Joe Biden. In contrast to last time we were at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, yeah. Biden did a lot of campaigning from his basement, literally, and it suited him. Uh, and it suited him to keep a relatively low profile until late on in the race. He eventually kind of swept in and swept a handful of states, took votes from there, and uh, and allowed Trump to defeat himself in the election. Trump's handling of the coronavirus was the problem. In this instance, it will be very different because Biden will be out travelling the country. He'll be here and there and everywhere. The first caucuses kick off in Iowa uh, towards the end of this month, the Iowa caucus. That's a big event. You have Super Tuesday, uh, in which I think 13 states uh, vote for their chosen candidates. Uh he will have to tour all over the country. And given the fragile state of Biden's health, and he does look fragile at times, I mean, he has good days. He has good days mm. when he comes out and he speaks very well and eloquently. And then he's prone to these gaffes and he's prone to uh, mishaps on on gotcha. camera. For, for, for sure. And where Trump is concerned with the accusations, uh, for example, I mean, how will he play that? He's using it to his advantage for a start. I mean, he, and it's amazing that I'm even saying that because, you know, two states have, have tried to ban him so far. Maine and Colorado mm. have tried to take him off the ballot list uh, via this kind of complex arrangement in the US Constitution, I think the 13th Amendment. Uh, now that's gone to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court is due to rule on that. Trump is likely to get a favourable ruling for the Supreme Court. Why? Because three of the justices on the Supreme Court table were appointed by Trump uh, and are conservative, are known for their conservative views. Yes. So it's very unlikely that Trump will be wiped off the ballot. Uh, but he has a number of criminal cases following him around there, lingering in the background. Uh, and he's going to have to contend with them throughout his mm. presidential campaign. Now, he will use them as fuel. He will use them literally to energise his campaign, as Trump often does, rather than uh, he will use it to paint himself as the victim yeah, in a conspiracy they're, they're all against me. Like, yeah, that, they're all that, against me, yeah, exactly, yeah. essentially. And he does that very skillfully. He yeah. exploits the system very, very well, and he manages to, to get voters on his side and literally convince people that he is the victim in this scenario. And that is... That is what helped Trump to the White House in 2016. It may be what helps him again in 2020, uh, 2024. It's a remarkable, it's, it's just, I can't get over how volatile and how, how poisonous a campaign it could become. What happens with that ability of an American president to, to grant immunity or to, to say that, you know, that your crimes are, are, are wiped over and, and that? Um, what can he do about if he does get become president? What can he do about what he's accused well, of? Well, this is where the uncertainty lies because the US Constitution is surprisingly silent on the issue of criminal convictions. I, I said it to you off air. I don't think the founding fathers when they were writing the Constitution ever envisaged a scenario whereby you had somebody like Trump vying for power. Uh, 
so if he were to if he were to be to, to defeat Biden, if he were to be elected to office for a second time, the whole question arises: Can he pardon himself? Can he give himself a presidential pardon? And there is uncertainty around that. Legal experts have have debated, and you know they've gone each way and the other on it. They're not particularly sure. We'll have to see as the situation evolves if that becomes the case. Uh, but it is remarkable really that Trump could find himself in this position. As I say though, he is leading so far ahead in the polls and not just the Republican Party polls, the the US uh, as a whole when you pitch him up against Biden uh, uh, many of the polls, he's leading Biden by a couple of percentage points so he's doing quite well. Biden's approval rating is the lowest as has been for, for any sitting incumbent US president in recent history. So there is real cause for concern there on the part of the Biden campaign uh, and Trump has reasons to be optimistic about this. It's phenomenal but really and truly this vote will be close. It's going to go down to the wire as most presidential elections in this day and age do. It will be. It will come down really to what happens in about six states. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. They are, are they so-called swing states? They are the swing states yeah. that you want to watch. Now, a few more states may come into play. Minnesota, New Hampshire and North Carolina, maybe even Florida may come into play depending on how the votes fall. But those six that I mentioned there are the key states, the key the key races to look out because, and closer to the time we will explain the US electoral system because it is quite a convoluted system. It, it's, you know, it challenges even uh, the most learned academics, you know, to explain yeah. it. Uh, I, I remember going into it last time round and it was just a minefield of stuff. So I hope you'll be able to help us where, where that is a uh, concern. We, we have to look at uh, I suppose global issues as well when we talk about uh, American presidency and there's so much going on. There is so much going on and a lot of the crises we have seen, a lot of the crises are unforeseen. Yes. So Trump's presidency Trump's last presidency was derailed effectively by an unforeseen crisis, the COVID-19 yeah. pandemic. Biden has been forced to grapple with a number of unforeseen crises. The war in Afghanistan was one, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Obviously, Russia's brutal war in Ukraine and now the war between Israel and Hamas. And, you know, mm. the jury is still out on how he has managed those. Of course. He has been... But will immigration in America be a huge issue? It, it continues to be. Yeah. It continues to be. And and we've seen in recent weeks and months controversies arising around immigration on the southern border, the southern huge. Mexican border. Yeah. Republicans have tied that issue to the question of aid for Ukraine to make it difficult for Joe Biden to pr- approve an aid settlement package to, uh, to Ukraine without uh, making special... Uh, Special, a special dispensation for, for the border, for what's happening at the US border. So immigration is likely to play a prime role and Trump, of course, is likely to try and exploit that uh, and use it to his advantage, as he has done up to now uh, throughout his, his political career. Biden a lot softer in immigration, but my sense is he will have to take a slightly harder line if he wants to win, if he wants to win back the White House, because he needs to convince mid-ground voters in middle America that he is the man to lead them through four more years. Never mind about his age, it's his policies uh, that I think people will really care about. I think the age question is there in the background. He'll be 85, 86 at the end of Mm. this term, should he win another term. Uh, but I truly, I think it's his policies 
that are going to be the real test of whether or not he lands back in the White House. Let's come a little closer to home and uh, those uh, European elections as well. Uh, the EU going to the polls in uh, June and of course volatile as well. Volatile uh, as well yeah. and really interesting because we've seen the rise of a number of far-right parties yeah. across Europe. You have Georgia Maloney, the Italian Prime Minister. Uh, Hurt Wilders now in the Netherlands looks set to become Prime Minister with his far-right anti-immigration, anti-Islam party and you have the alternative for Deutschland, of course, doing well in Germany, doing well in the polls consistently over there. So you have a constellation of far-right parties really thriving and flourishing across the European political landscape at the moment. And it's a re- going to be a really interesting one. The vote is on June 9th. Uh, the elections to the European Parliament held across the EU's 27 member states so nationalist parties of various hues will fare well. Those far-right parties will fare well. The question is, will they fare well enough to uh, force their way into power, force their way into power maybe alongside one of the centre-right parties? And I'll just explain briefly how the European political system works. You have these kind of catch-all parties, the lights of the European People's Party, mm. of which Ur- Ursula von der Leyen is a member, Fine Gael are a member of in this country, uh, you have the the European Socialists, uh, you have a, a far-right grouping, so you have these different mm. party groupings. You have the Green Grouping. You have the Green right. Grouping, yep. and yep. obviously the Green Party mm. of this country are, are, are members of that. So you have these loose party groupings that encompass various national political parties, and they kind of operate within the European Parliament. Uh, they compete for influence, they... They operate much the same as a national parliament does. Maybe don't have quite the same degree of influence because you have the European Commission there and you have the European Council of the Heads of State. Uh, and there are a number of senior top jobs in both those institutions going. Big questions around whether Ursula von der Leyen will, will seek another term. She is likely to... Uh, to, to put her head above the parapet and, and seek another term. Mm. Uh, but we're not sure. There are other names being thrown uh, about. What, it, does it depend on the success of the People's Party? Is that it, a, To a certain extent. Yeah. There's something known as a Spitzen candidate, which is uh, a most favoured candidate by the party which has the majority in the, in the European Parliament. And that will be the European mm. People's Party. As I said, far-right parties likely to do relatively well, but the European People's Party is on pole to... Yes. Is on course and, and to remain the line, She hasn't been damaged then by her stance where, where Israel was concerned. She though. hasn't, she hasn't. She has been slightly tainted and there have been other names. There are rumours circulating, rumours around the place. Mario Draghi, former Italian Prime Minister, former Governor of the, the European Central Bank, Emmanuel Macron is said to favour him uh, as a potential potential successor candidate to Van der Leyen. Antonio Costa, former Portuguese PM, he's an under name that has been thrown in there and may potentially arise. But I think myself, Van der Leyen will will hold on to the role. She has performed relatively solidly throughout her tenure. Little bit of uh, uncertainty recently with the, her comments on Israel, her support for Israel, and she has been accused of uh, of deviating from the party line in certain respects. So there are questions still to be asked around her, but I think on balance she has done a relatively good job uh, and will probably remain in situ for the next four years. The carbon cutting uh, regulations, will that play a big part in... Green politics yeah. is likely to play a big part anyway sustainability climate issues they're all feeding into it Uh, they're all 
core issues at the heart of the EU's plan now. And the EU, of course, is fighting for relevance on the global stage. The war in Ukraine has, I suppose, uh, created a sense of European solidarity uh, and it has forced Europe to, to get its act together and act particularly in terms of military affairs. The same can be said for climate. The recent COP summit uh, illustrated that mm. uh, the European Union in general needs to, I think, um, realign some of its climate policies if it wants to survive, if it wants to achieve this In the net event zero goal. of a Trump victory for example, yeah. the isolation there between America and Europe, I mean, that, that divide would become Could more. be really dangerous. Yeah. Could be, I mean, in the event of a Trump victory, the entire global political landscape shifts uh, and it immediately shifts. It immediately, because questions, you start asking questions, will he remain a member of NATO? Will he remain a member of the Paris Climate Accord? All these things, all these policies which Joe Biden reversed, Trump is likely or there's a possibility at least that he could reverse them again and transatlantic relations will suddenly be plunged into jeopardy so a real concern on the part of senior EU leaders they are hoping and praying that Biden is returned for a second stint uh, because it could be really dangerous from a from a global perspective. Speaking of elections then the other big one of course is the UK general election and it's down to two characters really isn't it? Two characters and we had Rishi Sunak coming out last week effectively confirming that the election would take place in the second half of this year. Uh, it'll be elect- an election bonanza, Fran. Uh, we're likely to have an Irish election, an Irish general election in the second half of this year as well, don't forget. Uh, so a lot of things happening. But in the UK, yeah, a long-awaited battle between two two politicians who, who aren't natural brawlers, who are kind of uh, calm reserve figures mm. in their own right and maybe not suited to the political campaigning that we would associate with the likes of Boris Johnson. Mm. You know, Johnson, for, for everything that you'll say about him and for all his uh, his mistakes and gaffes, he was a supreme election campaigner. Mm. Mm. Uh, a really, really skillful when it came to winning votes and winning votes in, in key constituent areas. So this time round, Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer will fight a very different campaign. Labour is well ahead in the polls. Keir Starmer at this point, if an election were to be held snap tomorrow, Keir Starmer is a shoe-in to become Prime Minister. But things can change and things can change quite rapidly in UK politics. There is a little bit of, uh, well, I say a little bit, there is a lot of disgruntled faces and disgruntled sentiment towards Rishi Sunak and the Conservative government for what they have done throughout their tenure. Even since the Brexit referendum, we've been through how many prime ministers, uh, how many existential crises within the Tory party, and people are just getting fed up with that. People are just getting sick of it. They want change. Well, we'll And again, we mentioned it earlier on when we were chatting, uh, Thomas. I mean, immigration, will that be the cards that Rishi Sunak will play? It seems to be. He yeah. has really, he has really invested everything into it, hasn't he? he this Rwanda plan, sending immigrants. Well, will he be making the point that Starmer is light on immigration? Uh, that's exactly. Yeah. That's precisely yeah. the 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 narrative he will try to push. Uh, that Starmer is light on immigration. That Labour doesn't have a coherent plan for immigration, and that. Uh, his party is much more capable of dealing with the large number of asylum seekers fleeing to the UK. Uh, And that mainly through his Rwanda policy, his controversial policy whereby he sends refugees from Great Britain to Rwanda uh, hmm. to, to but that for- was tossed out by the courts it was tossed out by the court but he has managed to pursue it through this legal loophole and is still likely to 
to push some version of a true uh, into Parliament. So immigration is likely to be a key fighting point at this election. Uh, immigration, the economy is another one. The UK economy, obviously, like a lot of economies across Western Europe and the Western world, struggling as a result of inflation. Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, will come out with his budget later this spring. It'll be very interesting to see that, to watch the figures. Will it be a giveaway budget? Will he look to try and uh, gain gain curry favour with the population at large and kind of win a few more votes? It will be very interesting. But Labour have a number of skillful politicians there. Rachel Reeves, the shadow chancellor, yeah. who is... Uh, uh, a skillful politician and a very clever individual. She is there and she will present her own budget package, which I'm sure will be scrutinised as well. So you have two parties really vying for power. Labour, as I said, a shoe-in at this present moment in time to become uh, the next government, but by no means certain because... It's interesting, yeah. And, can shift. and at the core of their argument, uh, you it's that Ronald Reagan quote, isn't it? Ask yourself this, are you and your family better off than you were 13 years ago? Is that, is that what will be at the core of their... That is precisely, and it, yeah. it is 13 years since the Conservatives were last, or were first elected to government in this in this tenure anyway, since Labour was last yes. in government. We've been through David Cameron, who's obviously now back in the fold as Foreign Secretary, uh, Liz Truss, Boris Johnson... All these several different prime ministers, we now have Rishi, and none of them have managed to restore stability. If you want my opinion, I think Cameron was the best of them. I think he just made a catastrophic error when he called that uh, yeah, yeah Brexit referendum. I think he had restored a bit of credibility to the UK. He was a safe pair of hands. He's probably a safe pair of hands right now as Foreign Secretary. Looks quite authoritative mm. and, and speaks with, yes, with authority. What a, what a miscalculation. Where what a miscalculation. <laughs> he really, really got it wrong. Yeah. Terribly. And speaking of Brexit, what about relations with Europe and the part that will play in this election? Yeah, it's likely to feature heavily because the Conservatives and Rishi Sunak are they're not taking a hard line in Europe they're happy to work with Europe but they're, Sunak is still a Brexiteer and he voted for Brexit and he, he was a campaigner for Brexit and he still wants to maintain a degree of distance between the European Union and the UK so he wants them to remain separate, separate entities but as we see uh, increasingly these these two have to work together uh, and that's in respect of the war in Ukraine the war in Israel Gaza paradoxically as horrible as those crises those wars or conflicts are it has brought Europe together and it has brought the UK back into the, the European loop a little bit more uh, because Western countries have been forced to, to get together and get behind the UK or get behind uh, mm. the Ukraine and get behind uh, the crisis in the Middle East. It's going to be very interesting. And referring back to our conversation about uh, the American uh, presidential election, uh, somebody saying to us, I was reading about posts yesterday by Republicans and many saying that they'll vote blue again just to keep Trump out. Is there an element of Republicanism, uh, Republicans that want to keep Trump out? Uh, I, I think there certainly is. Yeah. I think you have, you, we had Mike Pence on Sky News yesterday morning really launching a stinging rebuke of Trump and, and his policies and what he did in respect of January. January 6th. So you do have a, a growing cohort of kind of middle class, middle ground Americans who are just not willing to put up with him anymore. They want Trump without the drama. They may support conventional Republican policies such as low taxes and whatnot, but they just cannot cope with, with more of Trump's uh, melodrama and his, his antics on the, the global stage. But then you have a core of supporters there who are going to vote for him no matter what, who don't care. Uh, 
And the listener making a very good point as well. And I suppose it's how we uh, visualise it from here, uh, saying it's a sad state of affairs when the two best candidates for for uh, Americans' uh, presidency uh, produces these two men. And that, that, it's an interesting point, isn't it? It is, is an interesting point. You, you wonder, with. can America do better? And I mean, look, I think Joe Biden has, has performed relatively well as president, but he is 81 years of age. I'll try not to be ageist here. He's 81 years of age. He kind of is prone to gaps. Yeah. He lacks the vitality that a president maybe would or should have. And it is a little bit of an indictment of US politics because there are plenty of younger guns. I think of Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, uh, Ron DeSantis on the Republican side. There are plenty of young men and women out there. Uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president, should really, and she's not popular at all for mm. some reason or other, but she could find herself being called into office very, very quickly wow. uh, were the unthinkable to occur. But you do wonder if America could could do better than these two guys, particularly in a rematch. You know, we've had it. We, we've been there, done that. And for it to happen again and the divisiveness and yeah. the toxic politics that it will engender, it, it's not going to be a nice eight months. It's going to be a... It's going to be a bumpy ride for everyone concerned, I think. Thomas, is always a pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. Pleasure, Fran. Uh, Thank Thomas you. Thomas Conway uh, chatting there to us about uh, global politics. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Brian was on and he says when Thomas was discussing the rise of the right wing uh, politics in Europe and the concerns about it, uh, did you consider that uh, Ursula von der Leyen uh, pledged Europe's undying support to the most right wing and fascist regime since the Nazis and is the Zionist Israeli government? What a contradiction in policy that is and what uh, message does it send, says Brian. Well, I did make that point. Um, to Thomas uh, during the conversation, uh, Brian, I was wondering uh, whether or not that had damaged her in some sort of way, but uh, it, it doesn't seem to be uh, the case. And if the EPP are successful, seemingly her, her term will be a shoe-in, but uh, there you go. On Friday last, Ali spoke uh, about uh, Luke Humphreys, uh, who won the uh, World Dar- Darts uh, Championship uh, last week. Um, she spoke about him uh, coming out and speaking about his uh, depression and anxiety. Let's hear a listen, uh, a little of what he had to say. I mean, it makes it more incredible for myself mentally because there was a time in this, you know, in my life where I, I, you know, I was really depressed and I didn't think this was going to be it for me. You know, I, I couldn't do it up on the big stage and uh, went through a lot of problems. And to go on now to be world number one world champion, just yeah, it's proved a lot it's just to my mental, you know, ability. Now, one of our listeners, Sandra, uh, wants to raise awareness about the availability of uh, support for men who may be struggling with anxiety and uh, depression, and she joins me. Now, Sandra, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Lovely to talk to you, Sandra. Do you think it's good that a young man like Luke Humphreys would speak about his battle with uh, depression and anxiety? I definitely do, because, uh, I, you know, fair, fair play to him for turning around and say, yes, I do suffer with depression because it's actually normal for men, you know, to have depression. Men don't like to own up and say, I do have it because they want um, women to think that they are strong. You know, men do um, withhold 
everything, you know, inside them. Mm. And they are more um, more suicide towards men, definitely, definitely. And, and that notion of admitting vulnerability in in some way, is that, that what is behind it, do you think, that we don't want to admit that we're vulnerable or that, as we might see it, um, weak in some way. Definitely, definitely. In men, yeah. Women have no fear of turning around and saying, yes, I am depressed. Like, um, men, men and women, we should all turn around and say, look, we are all the same. We all came in the same way. We all go out the same way. Right. But their sexes may be different, you know. But there is no harm in the men turn around and say, yes, I do have depression. You know, because um, I had a, fr- a male friend going back maybe a year and a half ago and he 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 was gay. It's just another preference. Now I'm not saying all, but hmm. some um some guys that, that that are gay, which is no harm in it at all, it's their own preference. He held it in for years and he was being bullied for years. And he just couldn't take any more of it and he committed suicide. Oh my god. You know? Yeah. Oh so yeah, like he was my singing partner, friend. I mm. sang with him for years, you know, and, you know, I, I, life has changed for me because mm. I don't go out and sing live in the pub anymore. I tried it uh, two weeks ago without mm. him. I mm. just could not do it. You know, and he was, but this lad was going in his 20s. Yeah, and it, it, you know. I, I mean, there's so many stories like that, Sandra. That's just yeah. so so unfortunate indeed. And you, your own son, did he have his struggles as well, Sandra? Did he? Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, because yeah. my head went blank. Yeah, yeah. my son, uh, he's thirty, uh, yeah. but uh, he he had a little uh, he had a little bit of um, oh, he's a little bit autistic. Okay, yeah. but he had his own little disability problems anyway with scoliosis yeah. and the whole lot. But, um, oh, God, ever since he was young. Now, I don't know if it's down to me being, being a single parent. I don't think so, because I never had the the guard or anything at my door. I reared yeah. him up the best, you know, the best I could. But there was many a time, many a time where he was just have breakdowns and he was always in and out of the hospital. He never had a, a proper life. Like, I was doing three jobs and everything. And I quit, but, like, I was working on our radio station at the time and mm. do another other little job as well. But I get them all up and I stuck with the one job. Mm. But um, you know, to spend more time with him. And we were always having arguments and I said something is wrong here, so I got the counsel and the whole lot for myself and he said, Sandra, it's nothing that you've done and it's nothing that he has done. It's just the way life is and because my son uh, was a little bit autistic but there was um, many a time he would just have breakdown after breakdown. He would oh literally stand in the kitchen and rip his clothes, going, ah, you know, whatever. You know, anger management, the whole lot. But when he got to 18, I said to him, um, when he got to 18, I turned around and said, look, Lee, you're I said his name, it doesn't really matter now. But I said, Lee, what do you want to do in life? And he said, I'd love to go travelling. I said, right. I had a bit of money in the credit union. I said, right. There you go. Where would you like to go? I'd like to go to America. And I said, why? Because I have friends over there. I said, right, you go over for three months. So he went over for the three months. He met a girl. And seemingly, you know, she was the way teenagers are at the time. He, she was seeing somebody else behind his back, blah, blah, blah. I'd seen a photograph of him 
mm. on a BMX bike with a bandage on his arm and I, and I questioned uh, the young girl's mother about it. Oh, he fell off the bike, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But then I found out the true story. He was self-harming himself. Oh, my God. So I said nothing about it, uh, but he wanted to come, come home the actual, the actual day before he was supposed to fly home. Mm. So Lord of Mercury, my mother at the time, she uh, lent me the €800 Euro to get him home. And luckily, I had the money next day. the next day. I took it out of the bank. So I got him home anyway. He had another breakdown. He kept self-harming himself. So I got him all the counselling in the world. And now he's like a changed man. I swear to God, Fran, he's like a changed man. Isn't that fantastic? He, yeah, he, yeah I, I did it on myself. Like, yeah. he, he, you know me. I'm a single parent. I brought him up on me on and... You know, it was the best thing he ever did. I had to grow up quickly. Mm. But he is a changed man. Um, he took um, the Spider-Man in Athlone um, for parties, um, the parades, the whole lot. Isn't that great? But, you know, and, and what you, you put yeah. that down to the fact that he spoke to people and he was open about it. Is that, is that it? He uh, was open about it. Yeah. He actually sat down and he said to me, Mammy, there's something wrong with me. I, do, I don't know what's wrong with me. I think I'm depressed. Because, Lee, Lee, that's no harm to be depressed. Yeah. Like, I, I was depressed. I had a crap childhood. I won't go into the whole rigmarole. Yeah. But I had a crap childhood. But I turned around and you have to say in your head, well, why am I depressed? There's worse than me out there. And we're all the same. Mm. You know, you can't turn around and say, like, I'm the only one that has this. Everybody has Every kind of problem going on. Of in course, your head. Sandra. But I mean, if you're feeling yeah. down and you're feeling very depressed and dark, I mean, yeah. it, do, it doesn't matter at that point that other people have worse issues. I mean, this is where you oh, are. Know. This is where you yeah. are at that point. Yeah. yeah. And um, that was one day I was in my apartment um, across from where I'm living now, and I, I was sitting in the bedroom and I sat down and I said, "I don't feel well." This mm. is coming to myself now. Yeah. I said, I don't feel well at all. So I went down to a, neighbor, uh, a friend of mine that I would never go to. Uh, her name was Mary. And I said, Mary, I don't feel right. I said, I think I feel depressed. Mm. I went into her. I sat down with her. And I cried my heart out. And I told her about my childhood. So that's, that's what I'm trying to say, Sam. And any time that you are just feel a little bit off and you don't feel right at all, pick up the phone. Or go out to the neighbour, but always somebody out and there. And talk to somebody. Yeah. I, I do think, and you alluded to it earlier on, though, Sandra, that women oh, are better at this than men. They you know, are. Like, men can talk about the football game or the hurling game or what, whatever, yeah. or uh, but they find it very hard to talk about the personal stuff like this. Oh, did you? Did you? Yeah. And, and here's a, a tip for men as well. If they, if they turn around and say, no, I don't want to go to see it. You know, they call it a shrink. I don't go to see a shrink. They'll probably yeah. think I'm fucking mad, you know. Yeah. So, pick up the phone and, you know, they can save this number into their phone. I used it before the Christmas and I found them absolutely brilliant. I used them the whole time. Mm. It's uh, a text number called Hello. Hmm. And you, ju- you just text the word hello to 50808. It's private and confidential. You have fully qualified um, um, hmm. that people on the other end of the phone. They might give you the first name and they'll just ask you for your first name. They will not ask you for any confidential information at all. Everything's confidential. You could be texting somebody, um, texting these crowds in front of other people and nobody would know that. You know, it's so discreet. And, and, and what happens, Sandra, if you text that number, they call you back or something? Is that, is that the No, way? 
it's all by text message. Oh, it's all by text, is it? Okay. All by text. Right. What you do is you text the word hello and somebody will come on, just say a pat or whatever. Mm. And he'll say, look, there'll be somebody, uh, um, somebody will come back to you within the next five minutes. It, it could be within 10 seconds. Boom. Somebody is there right away and they'll say, Hi, Sandra, how's it going? How are you feeling today? Blah, blah, blah. All by text message. And it's absolutely free, and I found this brand absolutely brilliant. After I talked to them on Christmas Eve, um, um, that's it. I felt absolutely great. It was just to pour my heart out. I could sit down in the kitchen on my own and cry my heart out and tell them exactly how I was feeling and what was on my mind. Yeah, yeah, it's it's and the the other thing, and it's rarely spoken about as well, Sandra. Yeah. And and you you're perfectly qualified to talk about this. Living with yeah. somebody who is depressed and anxious is that yeah. that's not easy, Sandra. It's this not is, easy. It's not easy. Yeah. Because if your if your partner has depression and you're going around in a great mood, and you want to sit down to him and say, "Look, love, what's wrong with you?" Yeah, and he says, I, "I don't want to talk about it." I said, look, if you don't want to talk about it, take that text number. Talk to them. Look, you can have rows with them, Fran. Look, if you're not going to talk to me, you can talk to them. And they they will go off and they will do that. That is my only option that I can say, Fran. You know, if they're not going to talk to their partners, which I know they should be open with them, but just look, talk to them and tell them what exactly is on your mind. They They mightn't give you advice, but they'll be there to listen to you. But you can make up your own mind on what you want to do. But if they feel that, God forgive, you are feeling suicidal, they say, right, Sandra, here. Here's a few options of contact numbers. If you want to take them, you can. You know, they'll do that for you. They're absolutely brilliant. And as you say, it's anonymous and you don't have to share personal yes. information and, and all of that. And, and from your own experience, this is very helpful, Sandra. This is, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I have an, uh, on, on New Year's Eve night, when I was up to the pub with my family, every time, now Fran, every time I go to the pub with my family, I feel like I get, I get claustrophobic around mm. my family. I always think an argument is going to start over something. Mm. Uh, I'm sure uh, Irish families are like... Oh, but you know yourself. I know, but I was starting to get a little bit narky, and then my sister said to me, Sandra, shut your effing mouth. Mm. Yeah, all right, okay. Mm. But um, one of my nieces, um, she's gay as well, but she is very badly depressed, and um, she's getting bullied. So I gave her this text number, and she looked at me. I said, there's not to be ashamed of, I said. So we all have second depression. I said, take that number, put it into your phone, if you ever want to talk to him, and you should be looking around to see if anybody was looking, I said, look, there's nobody looking. Take that number. And I said, if you want to talk to somebody, they're there. And well, she came it's... back to me the next day, Fran, and she went, Sandra, thank you so much. I, I, I couldn't believe it. she said I was talking to them well by text. And I found them absolutely second brilliant. Well, well, there you go. It, it just goes to show you it's all about talking, isn't it, Sandra? Exactly. Um, well, um, really good to talk to you today, Sandra. No and uh, it helped me there. to talk to you anyway. So, oh, yeah, I've been trying to talk to you for years. <laughs> you look after yourself, Sandra. Great to I talk will to you. Love. Look after Take yourself. Care. Thank you so much. And bye bye to you now. That's uh, Sandra speaking to us today. 1800 938 007. Now, there's so many. Uh, organisations doing fantastic work out there. Samaritans Ireland, if uh, any of those issues that we discussed there would be uh, affecting you. I mean, there's the wonderful seesaw in uh, Clonmel and Tipperary Town, 052-617-2477, and uh, they provide a 
fantastic uh, service and of course Samaritans Ireland as well 24 hour service there uh, 116123 and Emma will have all of those numbers if uh, you require them uh, Tom was on to say, Fran, regarding depression and anxiety, I feel it's very helpful when high-profile people share their issues uh, with us. Mark Selby recently spoke about his problems, and as a result, I think he's helped uh, to remove some of the stigma attached to, to mental health uh, problems. Thanks for that, uh, Tom. However, I do believe, and and I'd be pretty sure of this, I think there's still a stigma to it. I think people would still be very careful about opening up in the workplace for example, if they suffer from uh, depression, anxiety or other mental health issues, I think it's still there. Maybe you disagree with me. 83 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, household clutter seems sort of harmless, I suppose, but a messy home can make many of us feel out of control. Now, with the Christmas decorations packed away, now might be the perfect time to declutter and to help you tidy like a pro. Organised Chaos is Ireland's premier organisation service and uh, together with uh, her team of professional organisers, Sarah Reynolds, uh, helps homeowners and businesses to transform their spaces into stress-free zones and she joins me now. Good morning to you, Sarah. Hi, good morning. Uh, Good to talk to you today. The holiday season just behind us. It is an opportunity, I suppose, Sarah, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Fresh start, brand new year. Everyone's back to school and work today, perhaps, for example. And we've just got, as you were saying, we've just got rid of the Christmas decorations. So the house is probably feeling a little bit less cluttered. Mm -hmm. Not not that Christmas decorations are cluttered. And it's just a great time just to assess the space and see what you really need and what you might be able to let go of start the year. I am a bit of a magpie. I can't seem to let go of, of any anything at all, really. And even when I try to tidy up, it's cluttered again within a, just a couple of hours there. Are they just sort of uh, chronically untidy people like me? Is that, is that the way it is? I mean, I think it can be a variety of different reasons. Like, I think that sometimes um, if you feel like you are trying to declutter and just constantly in this cycle of decluttering but never really seeing any issue, um, it could, or any resolve to it, it could be because, uh, one, you're either not getting rid of enough for the space in which you live in, or alternatively, it's that you're not moving on to the actual organization space, space. Phase. Hmm. All you're constantly doing is decluttering. But what about the systems? Like, what about the storage that is actually holding the things that you like to yes. have in the house? Yeah. The, the shelves, the um, drawers, like, are they actually doing a job for you? Uh, do you know exactly what's inside it? And that's, they're the system. So it might not necessarily be that you need to continue decluttering. It might be that you need to move on to actually organising and giving definite zones and homes to your things. That's very interesting indeed because most of us don't have near enough storage, for example. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can be tricky. Um, you know, like I'm living in a two-bedroom apartment myself now mm. for the last 12, 13 years. And so, you know, you're going to accumulate things. Yeah. As you were saying, we're just after Christmas. There's been an influx of, of items coming into the home. And so, you know, especially if we have kids, it, you could be going, where am I going to be putting all this stuff? So the pressure is on the space. What you have to realize when it comes to organizing is if, if that is not causing you stress, then you probably don't need to do anything about it. It's when the stress of too much stuff and not enough space or that feeling of not enough space, then you do something about it. So getting organized and decluttering is is not for everybody. It really does depend on the level of stress it's causing either for you or for the family. And if it's causing enough, then you will make the hard decisions to let things go. And what about those hard decisions, Sarah, particularly where clothing is concerned? Because we have this idea, oh, I will finally wear that shirt at some point or other this year. Inevitably, we don't, but it's in the wardrobe for years. I know, absolutely. Clothes can be one of the hardest things to let go of. Paper as well is very, very difficult to let go of. I think, like, you know, with clothes, we remember where we wore that yeah. dress or where we had the interview with that that we had the suit for, you know. So there's lots of memories connected to our clothes. And so, therefore, we might feel like as if, if we get rid of the clothes, we're getting rid of a precious mm. memory. Mm. Or alternatively, alternatively, we spent a lot of money on clothes. And so we may not feel like as if we've got enough bang for our book with and got enough um, wear out of the clothes. And so, therefore, we're reluctant to let it go. But again, if this is causing stress, if the clothes in the wardrobe it's causing stress. The rail has fallen down. The drawer has broken. It's bursting at the seams. The reality of it is, is that when it comes to money, for example, with the clothes, you lost that money as soon as you bought the item. Keeping the clothes in the wardrobe is not saving you any money, and it's not going to get you that money back. The money has gone, and now yes. the clothing is taking up prime real estate, precious real estate that you might need back for your sanity. And so that's the question you have to ask yourself. Is it actually worth keeping it? Maybe uh, not financially, but like in other terms. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really, really good advice. And it's, it's a very novel way to, to look at the, those of us who like to hoard things every so often. Um, are there naturally tidy, uncluttered people, do you think, Sarah? And are there those of us who are just bad at this? I mean, were you always tidy, for example? I... <laughs> I was, Fran. Unfortunately, I don't have this before and after story. Um, I was, I was. But, um, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, Fran, like, I mean, I think there is. Some of us are organized. Some of us are disorganized. Some of us, uh, some of us who are organized end up going through some big life life transition and it puts pressure on our space and then we lose the run of ourselves and we lose control of our home. Whereas those who are disorganized may learn uh, learn a couple of skills and become more organized. We're not just, we don't necessarily stay the same person our entire life. Mm. It's, mm. Uh, organization, if you want it, is a skill that you can learn, just like cooking or learning a language or whatever. It's, it's if you want to make that change. But it's the realization that this is, it's sort of, it's a lifestyle change. And and really, it's like, you know, if you decide to get fit this year or something, it starts with a decision that this is what I want to do. I'm not currently happy with my current situation. I need to make this decision. I need to make a series of changes here and stick with it over 
you know, several weeks or months in order to see this change. Um, but then, as I was saying, if it doesn't cause stress, um, then then you don't need to do anything about it. <laughs> then it's fine. But it could easily... I mean, I've discovered, for example, it, it can cause stress without you even knowing it because the mm. difference when you do tidy or declutter is enormous. Oh, absolutely, Fran. Like, I mean, I cannot tell you how many times that when I've helped... Um, a client get organised and to declutter, it's only when we declutter that they realised the stress it was causing yes, them yeah. and this unbelievable relief and lightness that they can feel. And that's why it's so hard to explain because it's something, organisation and organising your house is something that you need to feel in order to believe it. Mm. You know, it's not necessary. Obviously, you see the change once the change happens, but it's a process that you sort of feel um, and it is it is makes a huge difference um, emotionally, mentally and everything, yeah. Sarah, you have a website if people want to have a look, don't you? Yeah, I sure do, yeah. Organisedchaos.ie and I'm also on Instagram, Organised Chaos Ireland as well. All right, well, it's great to talk to you and a Happy New Year to you. Thanks for coming on with us, Sarah. Thank you for watching you now. That's uh, Sarah Reynolds there of Organised Chaos. Uh, 083 Now we've been discussing whether or not uh, it's a good call from the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnell, for restaurants to cut down on food portions. Well, Jenny Brewer of Zero Waste uh, and Marketplace uh, joins me now. Jenny, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you doing? Uh, great to talk to you again, Jenny. Um, what the Minister is advocating, would you go along with that? No, absolutely not. Um, You know, obviously food waste is a huge issue, but I don't think targeting like restaurants and cafes about it is uh, kind of the way to go, really. Um, You know, like everybody's appetites are different. Mm. So like reducing portion sizes across the board just wouldn't work, you know. Um, I don't think any cafe owner or restaurant owner sets out to intentionally waste food. You know, they pay for the food to have it in and then they pay for the food if it's wasted. Um, so I, I just don't think reducing the size across the board is is helpful. Um, and mm. certainly not what he also said about, um, you know, getting rid of doggy bags. Like, yes, I think that's yeah, that's crazy, crazy thing yeah. to say. Um, I'd actually go the complete opposite way and say it should be standard practice. If there's something left on your plate, um, you know, you should be offered. Do you want to take that home? Because some people just don't like to ask. I mean, I certainly don't mind. If I have something left, I'll I'll certainly take it home. Mm. Um, But it should be standard practice, I think. And then let the person bring it home and do what they will with it. You know, use it tomorrow, give it to their cat or their dog or put it in the compost. Mr. McConnell, he must have a bird's appetite that he, he says that he's tired of saying, that's enough, I don't need any more food. I can't think when I... <laughs> that, yeah. that I've ever had that experience in a restaurant. Now I must, I must say, but you know, maybe, maybe he's a fit guy, and maybe he looks after himself and all of that. I don't know. You know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's a Carberry meals in the doll or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I never thought of that. Yeah, it could be in the yeah, doll restaurant. Yeah. yeah. But and I guess in a Carberry situation where you're you're walking along, they're you know giving they're putting things on your plate. You can say, oh, that's enough. You know, but generally you're handed a meal and you don't get to say, I don't. You know, flexible portions, all right, would be something that would be good. You know, that you could, mm. if possible you know, that you can say I'll have a half portion or a starter portion as my main course or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, but I just don't think the whole targeting the cafe and restaurant industry is, you know, is, is really going to help. I mean, Irish households in general, you know, we waste 700 euros approximately every year on food waste. So really, it's kind of education around that. You know, not buying too much, um, using your leftovers. Um, you know, there's a really good um, website, the Zero Waste Chef. She's a, she's, um, a lady in Canada, I think. And she has umpteen recipes on how you can use your leftovers um, and just how to stop wasting food in general because there's so much more to wasted food than just the food, you know. So it's more in the home, you think, we could look at this as opposed definitely. to the restaurant helping. Sam. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I just think it's easier to educate people around um, around not wasting food, and like not buying too much food and not, uh, not wasting it and using your leftovers. And mm. storing your food correctly as well. You know, if you're storing it right, you're less likely to have to throw it out because you've forgotten to use it or whatever. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I just I just think education and behaviour change at home would be more helpful as opposed to telling restaurants to stop giving people too much food. <laughs> Since know? we started talking about this this morning, uh, quite a few of our listeners, our contributors, were making the point about the supermarkets and that notion of, you know, uh, getting two for the price of one and maybe that promotes waste in yeah. its own way. W- would you go along with that, Jenny? Yeah, yeah. I, I think supermarkets in general would, yeah, there's definitely these offers. Like, people just buy them because they think they're good value, but it's yeah. not good value if you're just buying it and putting it in the bin, you know? Um, yeah, so you kind of, you have to just stay away from the special offers unless it's something that you will absolutely use or if it's something that has a long, you know, a use-by date or whatever. Um Mm. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't think uh, supermarkets are helpful in the way that they, um, you know. And uh, of course, it's, it's important for, for, for us to keep in mind as well that if we can get around this notion of waste in the home, we'd be saving a considerable amount of money, would we not? Yeah, absolutely. 700 euros is the, the average um, amount that uh, the household wastes on yeah. food, like, which is just, it's really, it's incredible actually when you think about it, that that much money is wasted every year. Uh, and there's such simple ways to, you know, to stop doing that. Just buy what you need. You need to plan as well, kind of see what's in your fridge already and use that before buying more. And, um, you know, mm. just plan. planning meals definitely would, would help. Mm. Storing your food correctly helps. And getting used to using your leftovers as well, you know. And you, do uh, you go along with the necessity of having a list when you're going shopping as opposed to just going in and throwing stuff in the yeah. in the trolley, Oh, for sure. That, yeah. that definitely helps. Yeah, definitely yeah. helps. Yeah, because yeah, if you plan you plan your meals for the week and then you uh, you write your list accordingly. So, mm. you know, yeah. and, and just try and stay away from those special offers that you don't need or and definitely don't go shopping when you're hungry because you'll just throw God knows what into the trolley then. <laughs> you know? For sure. And don't go shopping with me. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> definitely the trolley would be full of everything that's that's bad for you. Jenny, should this be yeah. part of the New Year's resolutions, uh, do you think? like, Or do you believe in that notion that, you know, we might get uh, around food waste in some way? And Yeah, definitely. I mean, mm. it would be, you know, useful for people to start looking at it and being more aware of it. You know, yeah. being aware every time you're putting something in the bin, like, well, in the compost bin, hopefully, um, you know, in, in terms of food. And just to start to think about, well, not only just the money that it has cost, but like the energy and the resources and the water and the work that has gone into it and the transporting it around the world or the country, 
you know, there's way more to wasted food than just the food. So there's an awful lot to think about. And I, I think just becoming more aware of it um, will help. And le- yeah, leave, sure. leave the restaurants alone, you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't think there's any need for... Um, you, just, you just can't standardise something like that. As I say, I have a completely different appetite to... You know, other people. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, you know, no two people would be the same. So it's really hard to standardize that. So I don't think. Um, but I think actually make it standard practice that you are offered to bring your leftovers home if you have an X amount left on your plate. That yeah. it should be standard that you're asked. So would you like to bring that home? And then people got into the habit of bringing their own containers with them mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that you're not wasting more packaging on, you know, bringing your leftovers home. But it should be standard practice. You've paid for the meal. It's your entitlement to bring it home if you want. Oh, fair play. Jenny, great to talk to you and thanks for your time. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Jenny. You likewise, Karen. Thank bye you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's uh, Jenny Brewer there of Zero Waste Marketplace. Uh, 083 Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Golden Globes ceremony uh, kicked off the 2024 awards season in LA last night, honouring the best uh, films and TV series of the past year. Ken Sweeney is showbiz editor for the Irish Sun and joins me now. Ken, good morning to you. Good morning. And good morning. It was great for the Irish again with that huge success by Killian Murphy, I suppose. Yeah. Well, he's been knocking around for a while, about 20 years, and he's made all these films. In fact, weirdly enough, around 1999, I was working for an Irish CD-ROM magazine. What is a CD-ROM magazine? I won't even explain that to you. But I did one of the first interviews. A friend of mine was in the film business, and she said, this guy, Killian Murphy, is going to be huge. And I was interviewing um, actors for the CD-ROM magazine, and he came in, and it was one of the first interviews he ever did. And I'll tell you something, if I knew 25 years later that this guy was going to be such a big deal, and now he's heading for he's heading yeah. to winning an Oscar, probably the first Irish-born Oscar And what was your ever. impression of him? back then well he was very new to to he, he was very much himself he, he you know he he, uh, he had never i don't think he'd ever done an interview before what? but he'd, he'd had one or two films but he was very natural but you know what he had that presence that i think he has in all his films that that there's something internally going on sometimes you know you you go out and about and you know you meet an actor a big irish film actor and they don't strike you as very impressive. Mm. But when you see them on screen, there's something that, that the camera captures in them, an intensity. And if you've seen um, Killian Murphy and Peaky Blinders and yeah. things like that, Incredible. he has that inner intensity. And I think he said that in a recent interview, that when people meet him, you know, they expect something like the characters he plays on screen, but they get something a lot more, you know, uh, a bit more quieter, a bit more intense and a bit more low-key. And he obviously shines. And this, this Oppenheimer film, it's everything that, that Oscars love. It's about a guy that invented the bomb that could end mm. the world. It's about all these... Now, it's a very, very long film. And I'm, I'm just smiling because there's all these people who see Oppenheimer and they're going to sit down and watch it. They're going to realise that it goes on for hours and hours and hours. But listen, it's wonderful he's getting the recognition. It's wonderful that this, there were other Irish actors, two other Irish actors in this category and, and that he's up there getting mm. his golden glow. When, when Oppenheimer uh, emerged, of course, it emerged along with the Barbie movie. And so yeah. we had Bar- Barbie Heimer or something with, with the emerging... But, yeah. but, I mean... Barbie it didn't do so well, did it not? Well, I got two 
awards, and I, I don't have the title to hand, but it got yeah. it got a second award for something like box office yeah. <laughs> receipts or, or you know impact. Bum, bums on seats, basically, yeah. Yeah, there's always the weighty, you know, films that, that, that'll... But listen, the, the Barbie thing, they're laughing. My, my son got a, a job in a cinema on Parnell Street over Christmas, and he said that Barbie was doing incredible business, mm. and that's what they needed, especially after lockdown. Of course, yeah. Everything that cinema trade has got. So listen, Barbie got two awards, but I mean... Yeah. It, best it, best know, Song, it, I think, was the other one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Best yeah. Song. But yeah. I mean, listen, you know, it's... It, you know these films fulfill roles. I mean, you know, think about you know Schindler's List and all these yeah. other films that that are, that are looking at a higher, uh, you know, looking at, at you know more complex subjects. And I mean, there's anyone who's going to put across this Oppenheim. I mean, listen, think about it here. We've got a film that's that's you know on on charity the Oscars about the guy who invented the atomic bomb. Mm. Is there anything more unlikely? I mean, like that that could happen. And it's Killian Murphy, and I think it's wonderful that he has this other profile as well. That he's Irish, that he has this stage background um, in Ireland, and that that that's helping him really to do yeah. the business. I like the fact that Erlingus put a picture, you know, up of of him coming home on the plane already. Not for him to be hanging out over the next few days, getting his back slapped in Hollywood. This guy's on his way back to Ireland straight away. Fair play, and uh, I mean, it was a rather reserved speech as well, by comparison to some of the other outpourings of emotion uh, for 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 the Globes. And um, the other thing is that the best film, musical, or comedy was Poor Things. Is there an Irish angle to that as well, or am I mistaken? Um, let me see. I can't think of one. Well, there's an Irish angle. Yeah, Poor Things. Um, is, is this the element picture we're thinking about? Yeah, of course. It's Ed Guiney and his wonderful pal Andrew Lowe run Element Pictures, and that's Yorgos um, Lemos, the director's uh, film, and it's it's all run out of Dublin. So Element Pictures, I was ah. in there not so long ago doing a TV drama, interviews for a TV for uh, the Dry, that's made by Element Pictures. That's all based down on Connell Street. So they are behind that, and that came out of nowhere. Listen, the, of course, the writer, the actors, and all that would be, um, you know, I think the writers are. Australian and um, the director from elsewhere, but it's a Dublin company, and that could be. So, listen, that film and uh, you know, and the fact that Killian Murphy, you could have two big Irish films then heading for the Oscars, and well, you know, make no bones about it. If Killian Murphy wins. You know, best actor for the Gold Globe. That means he's in the running to win Best Actor at the Oscars as well. Um, and of course, TV very much part of the Golden Globes as well. I suppose no yeah. surprise, Ken, about Succession and uh, the success yeah. there. Well, I'll tell you, it's a surprise to me because Is I really it? liked Succession yeah. at the start. Yeah, I really liked it at the start, yeah. and then you know, like I just got really bored with the. La- I know this this is this isn't what you want to hear, but I really got bored with the last yeah. series and. You know, I just, I just thought, you know, that, that you know, your man, the, the main guy, the, the, the megalomaniac guy, yeah. he would kind of do something unexpected, and they'd all be shocked by it, and then they'd all be kind of. I just got very bored with it. I just felt like that the it's like Mad Men. I just felt the first couple of seasons were great, but I was getting a little bit bored with it. But listen, who am I to, you know, uh, to, to come out and say I didn't think the last, the last season was up to it? Uh, well, look, it, I it, mean, you know, I, I wasn't all that impressed with Oppenheimer. I mean, I, I thought Killian Murphy's performance was excellent. But, I mean, the movie yeah. left me a bit exhausted, to be honest with you. So, it's all subjective, It was. I just wish they'd bring these things to a close about an hour <laughs> earlier. Because you're in there, and you literally are... I, I think the 
test is at the theatre at the cinema when your posterior starts getting a bit sore because <laughs> you're in the seat too long. And it's just such a long, long, long film. And you just you just wish that it could have just, just... I mean, everyone would like it a lot better if it just finished a little bit earlier. They're weighty subjects. Of course, these things come from books. The yeah. books are vast. They're, yeah. they're picking what they should, what they should dramatise on screen. But here we are griping. It, it, it's doing really well. It's, it's uh, you know, it's... it's it's a thoughtful thing. And, and to get back to the movies, is it fair to say, Ken, that Oppenheimer and Barbie, in fairness, that they've rejuvenated um, the movie experience going out to see a movie? Yeah, they have. They have. And, and, you know, as I said, I mentioned my son got a job at cinema and he was just telling me how big cinema is in the city centre. And it's Parnell Street, where, where it apparently is very dangerous. We hear no guards down there. But, you know, picking him up in the evenings, he would tell me, listen, you know, it's really big down there in Parnell Street in that cinema. Bollywood, Bollywood films, because wow. there's so many wonderful Indian yeah. people in, in the country now running our hospitals and looking after us when we have terrible mishaps. And they have, there's a whole lot of Bollywood films on down there. And people are coming in to see that. People are coming in to see Oppenheimer, coming in to see Barbie. They're eating all the oh, they're eating all the popcorn and the Cokes. And they're having that collective experience that we have. And I think if people are going out again, and I, I recently went to see one of my favourite bands, The Blades. They played mm. Dublin over Christmas. It was absolutely rammed. Why was it rammed? Because I think a lot of the people who used to go and see The Blades didn't go out over lockdown. And then now they're going back out again. And they were all at that gig. And it was absolutely rammed. So There's a blast there from the past. To the blades. Wow. I love the blades. There yeah. is a collective experience, you know, in going to see something in the theatre or something in the cinema. And it's like, listen, isn't it wonderful that at the Golden Globes, like half the best actor nomination, 50% were Irish? Yeah. Isn't that incredible? Well, absolutely. And, you know, it really is. Well, it's good to, to hear about a success story, that's for sure. Ken, great to talk to you as always. Thanks great very much and Happy New Year, you Ken. Too. Thank you. Bye okay, bye. Happy now. New Year bye to bye. you as well. That's Ken Sweeney there, showbiz editor for the Irish Sun. We're chatting there about the success of uh, the Irish in the Golden Globes and hopefully a nod to the Oscars there as well. 1800-938-007. Let's continue with our chat about food waste. And Mike joins me now. Mike, good morning to you. Good Good to talk to you today. You look for half dinners at times when you go to a restaurant, Mike. Yes, most times now I do. For the past few years, I, do, I, I, I look for half dinners. But I find there's plenty in, in a half for dinner. Yeah. And would you, would you be in the least embarrassed about that, for example? No. No? No, well, what's the, what's the point? You must have, let somebody else have the other half for dinner, and then there's two meals, when you think of it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, uh, do you have a small appetite, or...? Do I, you... I would have, yeah. I would have, yes. Right, OK. And and do you think a lot of people are like... I mean, do you go along with what the minister is saying, then? Uh, not really, because if people want, want to bring the food away with them, why not? Yeah. And bring it away with them. Yeah, that's and the, one, that's the thing he's saying I don't understand at all, that he doesn't want there to be a doggy bag uh, mm. situation, but... Yeah, I can, I can get, I can get just a bad idea. I think, in yeah. a way. Would you bring ho- food home with you now if you had? I would. Yeah. In fact, it would have to now. If it was there for chicken, as a good, good piece of piece of chicken, I'd bring some that way with me and have it for a tea, maybe or even a lunch the day after. And and I that does that doesn't bother you in the least, saying you know I want to bring no. this food home with me and. Yeah. I need some friends now that I'm with my with my kindness with, with the group. They stand to have dinner too because they're finding afternoon plenty for them as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I, I'm really coming cr- across this morning as a savage because you know sometimes I'm uh, wondering yeah, where, where that I should have more <laughs> on the on the plate, Mike. So you know. Well, now I know I turned to someone lately now who asked me a function and. Right. Don't name any place dinner. for me now. No, no, no. no. Listen, they had a fish dinner. Yes. And just person we're like now maybe no little piece of spud maybe with, with the fish. Because, right. but that's the way things go. I see. Maybe fish might come a trip with chips maybe. So maybe that's why we why we. Yeah, it's a, no, it's. Anything happen. Yeah. Uh, do you prefer a sit-down or do you like a carvery or what's your favourite meal? The carvery. The carvery's The carvery's are lovely. Well, I, we eat those. Well, we, we do both. Right. Where we are, what's happening? Right, so it, it, it doesn't matter to you. I suppose you have more control where the carvery is concerned. You can say, no, I, that's enough. Yeah, possibly, yeah. yeah. Possibly, yeah. yeah. And what, what about waste in the home, Mike? Um, are you I careful about that? Now, I try to be. Now, yeah. when I buy a slice pan, I split it up into two slices, packs, and then wrap up again, and then all back into the wrapper again. So okay. take it out two slices at a time. Well, that's a very good idea. Very good indeed. Yeah. Try and minimise. So, and, and well, yeah. so you'd always be careful of that, would you? Well, try and be. Yeah. It doesn't always work there. Yeah. So then I would, as a slice of meat left here, on the first day I had to go away and uh, I was left for a day or so, and so that was gone. So the bulls got that. But these, yeah. these things will happen from time to time. Of course they you will. You can't always take everything. Of course they will, you indeed. Can't everything. But in the meantime, so you, you go along with what Charlie McConnell is saying then, would you? Well, not really. Yeah. As, as, you, as you said, some people like to eat more. Yeah. But I know some people probably do put on too much. They better have to really come back and say, does anybody want any more here? Do you need a potato or veg or whatever? Right, not the place. Okay. Come back and offer, offer more. I think a better idea. Yeah, I think that's a nice touch, all right. Yeah, if you thought that people were going to come back and say, just just in case that you'd be going away hungry, I mean, God forbid, and all of that. Mike, mm. really, really good to talk to you today, Mike, and thank you, and good morning to you. That's Mike there, who is obviously um, looking after food waste uh, big time. Um, uh, let me go to Tom right now. Tom, good morning to you. Uh, good to talk to you today, Tom. We were speaking to Sandra a little earlier on about depression and uh, anxiety. Indeed, you you think it's helpful when high-profile people share their stories, Tom? Well, I do. In a couple of instances, there were particular sponsors who I thought, oh, things you know, they're cocky and they're this and they're that and they're the other thing. You form an opinion of them, but then when when you find out these things, you change. You know, mm. at the end of the day whether they're wealthy or whatever they are, they're still human, you know. So, um, yeah, I, f- I find myself doing that. But um, we're talking about men in general maybe being afraid or mm. nervous or whatever about discussing it. Yeah. Um, a couple of times I've had discussions in the pub, say, for instance. Maybe a fellow you're drinking with occasionally or whatever and might be something going on in the background that you mightn't be aware of, you know, and just might come up in the course conversation and it's probably not a bad place to talk about it either because, yeah. you know, it's kind of one-on-one as well. Well, it's probably one of the few places where men talk to men, I, I suppose, Tom, you know? Yes, I agree, yeah, in that yeah. sense. I know we talk a lot of bowl or whatever, but <laughs> no, I, I find yeah. and even after a couple of drinks, sometimes you relax and you kind of, you know, you, you don't, it doesn't mean you let your guard down, but... 
The only objection, and it's not really an objection, it's more of an observation uh, about famous people coming out and talking about depression and anxiety. Sometimes I think that I, I hope it's not to sort of gain notoriety or, or, or something as well, you know, because I've come across situations where very well-known people would almost make a career out of the fact that they have addiction issues or they have mental health issues or something. I'm a little bit concerned about that, Tom. Yeah, it's a good point, I suppose, you know, but, I mean, uh, I think it's a difficult one. Personally, <clears throat> the, the few occasions I've come across this, it, it did something for me anyway, I think, Notoriety might not be the word, but it it, it could well be, you know. Mm. But uh, it doesn't. It, it almost suggests that this is making it popular or whatever the word is. Mm. Um, so no, I think um, I know maybe coming out too publicly about it might be the best thing ever either. But it needs to be spoken about. You know, I've um, I've a close friend who suffers from depression, and until such time as they opened up a little bit about it, in fact, just to work colleague mm. and they found that very helpful you know again there's no there's no simple solution but at the same time I think discussing it is, yeah. is the way to go you and, know, and that young of... that young darts player then Luke uh, Humphreys who came out and you know he, he explained yeah. about how he suffers with anxiety and how it was detrimental to him a few years ago it's a good thing overall Tom you think absolutely I mean it, it, It'll be there in the background, I suppose, but at the same time, he has overcome it. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, they get to a stage where they were thinking maybe of giving up the whole thing, dark, smoke, or whatever, anything, mm. whatever you do. But then when they get to maybe to express it and to deal with it, oftentimes, uh, well, somebody outside the family, I think, is probably the best person to talk to. But again, yes. it doesn't have to be, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. And why do you say somebody outside of the family, Tom? Well, uh, maybe not outside. You find it hard to open up to your yeah. own, maybe. That's yeah. not a, it's the only way to put it, maybe, you know. But you can you can open up maybe to, sometimes even to a stranger. To a stranger, right? yeah, know. for sure. Yeah. Both a stranger. Maybe you could find somebody just sticking beside you or standing beside you might have the same problem or whatever. and. Yeah. It, it just can come out in the course of normal conversation. It's just what an idea I have. It's only because I've come across things, you know, where people open up to me. Younger fellas, occasionally now in the pub, might open up about some little thing. I think maybe they gain their confidence or something, you know. And uh, Tom, just finally, because it seems to me it's more prevalent in, in, in the last 10 or 20 years than it was maybe when we were younger, or is it a case that we just didn't talk about it when we were younger? I suppose maybe it's that we didn't talk about it, but maybe we weren't even aware of it, really. You mm, know, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot goes on inside you that you're not aware of, and maybe everybody else is. But, yeah, I, I, I think the fact that it's been spoken more about openly, plus it's not been stigmatised, which it probably was years back, you know. It was almost just you should avoid somebody who had... Mm, yeah. Professional or whatever, you know. Yeah, or or we stuff them away somewhere like a mental yeah. hospital or something for for yeah. their lives. Yeah, in fact, the world people should never have been, you know. But yeah. again, I suppose education is a good thing in that sense, you know. Tom, it was great to talk to you, and happy New Year to you and yours, Tom. Thanks Thank so you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Bye okay. bye to you. And that's uh, Tom speaking to us uh, this morning. We leave the last word on the food issue um, to Teresa, who says, "I love my food, Fran. Keep away from my plate." <laughs> 
Fair play, Teresa. That's it for me. Emma produced Ali, looks after her content. Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.